Yeah, go for Tony. Hey, Tony, how are you? Dave, you're as sound for sore ears, buddy. I'm just enjoying a Brooklyn summer, you know? It's hotter than a bowl of Staten Island chili out here. Well, thank you for taking my call, Tony. Hey, Davey, just because I ain't producing your records anymore don't mean we ain't chums. I have to tell you that the sales on the last two records were pretty good, but EMI already wants more. Of course they do. The world's junkies and all they want to huff is more Bowie music. Well, yes, old friend, you've always done right by me. But if we're going to go back into the studio right now, I... I need to do something current, but at the same time, with the artistic flair of the good old days. Ah, uh, you must be talking about the 60s. Greasers, sock hops, Jimmy Joe and Janie Jane falling in love and singing about it. I like it. You're John Lennon's, you're Smokey Robinson's. I'm right there with you, pal. Yes, yes, that's right, exactly. Yes, those are the kind of artists that maybe we should be looking towards. So what I'm thinking, Tony, is that... Use our great work, Scary Monsters, as the template. But I want to lock yourself and myself in a room for one week and listen to nothing but Robert Palmer and Phil Collins. Because that's the sound of today. Davey, you're a catalyzer. What are you doing? What are you thinking over there with your lasagna brains? You don't need to listen to the to these contemporaries. You you're the inspirer. No, Tony, I, I I don't Tony, I don't think you understand. Just just listen to me. This record is going to be a time capsule of tomorrow today because guess who I called yesterday? Pee Wee Herman, uh, Frankie Stallone. No, not quite. Better than that. A 6'6 Budnick. You're just not, you're not in the same space I am, apparently. I hung up the phone with Peter Frampton. Okay. I, I don't, listen. Whatever happened between you and Peter, put it aside. Can't you work with Peter Frampton on this album? No, no, you don't know what happened that day when I just offered to help him out on his album. I show up, next thing I know, my dog's traumatized for life, and I'm never allowed back in that recording studio again. That Frampton's a sick bastard. It was all his idea. Well, fine then, old friend. It looks like this will be another one that we do not do together. Which I find disappointing because... You want to do a 60 throwback? Do it with me. Do it without Frampton. I'll show up with a letterman jacket and a bowl cut, but I'm not stepping one foot in that room with that man in his voice talk box. All right, this, this conversation's going nowhere. Listen, even though you're not going to do this record with me, I know that you'll always be there for me. And I don't consider this a letdown. Sometimes we need our own space. I mean, honestly, those years in Morocco were good for both of us. You're right, Dave, and when you're right, you're right. I know, Tony. I know. No, you'll, you'll never let me down. Wait a minute. Hey, hey, Davey, think about that as a title. You never let me down. I think you got yourself a bing. Yeah, damn it. Drop my phone. Welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole presents a space podity, a David Bowie 
uh, going in, going out of the universe of David Bowie. And last episode, we talked about the second record of his, uh, Space Oddity, Man of Words, Man of Music, uh, self-titled, second self-titled, if you will. We rolled the dice, the old diamond dice, and we came up with number 17. And it was not a very lucky number, 17, but that took us to the 1987 record, Never Let Me Down. Uh, this is Mark, uh, one of the hosts. Um, I'm joined, as always, with two of my fellow colleagues and music nerds. I have Steven. 2019 and cry. And we also have Eric. Eric, say hello to your friends, to the family, to everyone out there in Radio Land. Hello. I don't. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sing like Steve. Steve. Steve's got this. This, oh, this, well. this corner of the world corner. So you're. I've always so had. What I'm let's, hearing, let's, just, uh, let's just let's say it. I've always had the better singing voice. It's true. It's true. It's never. It's never been. It's uh. It's been widely talked about, but never actually said out loud. Um. So one thing that I wanted to uh, uh, point out that Eric got uh, shy just now, even though him and Stephen have been doing an award-winning segment on both of our current <laughs> season two episodes, and those are the dramatizations. <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're they are going to continue, and uh, they're going we're going to do them for every goddamn episode. And eventually I'm going to get Mark on one of them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, oh man, Uh, they always take me by surprise because I haven't edited the last two episodes, but um, they, they certainly make me smile. I hope the listeners are equally engaged and having fun with those. Um, but you got to do a David Brown. Now we don't know the, the the types of the conversations that were said, but we've through extensive research. No, that's no, that's verbatim. Yeah, that's verbatim. Yeah, for... that's verbatim. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how we stumbled upon just you know uh, the, the, the trash can alley, Tony Visconti. That was Eric's creation, and I'm just doing a bad uh, David Bowie uh, impression meets Stephen Toast, uh, Matt Berry. So it's it's, it's fun. Uh, oh boy um i'll come on as like some cockney janitor that uh you know sweeping up like after diamond dogs hey what's this then hey what's all this then (laughs) so it is written (laughs) mick ronson what are you doing here <laughs> All right, and that's that'll be me. That'll do the Mick Ronson. Oi, so let's play the guitar. All right, see, you know, I'm into the spirit of things. Let's hit record on this. <laughs> oh, we are recording. No, um, yeah, unfortunately, he's not on this album. No. Uh, uh, yes, I don't know. I don't know if he would have been on it, but uh, yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Um, all right, so we're in the year 1987. Um, it, uh, we're we're at the end of Reagan's second now, term. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, I believe Steve had something, some like housekeeping to do from uh, from last episode. Uh oh, housekeeping. A uh, little got- little bit of housekeeping. Uh, I, I hate to tell you two this, but when this episode finally goes up, I will finally unleash the Patreon upon the world. Oh. It's no. not live. I thought it was live this whole time. I've been no. cashing checks that uh, <laughs> I've been relying on this money. I might explain <laughs> why Jen called me. Um, Mark's got a problem. We keep spending money we don't have. But uh, no, that, it hasn't been live. I uh, I had to be very elaborate 
and had all these separate tiers. And then I decided it's just going to be one flat donation people can make each month and they're going to get everything we put out anyways. I mean, come on. What's the point of making bonus episodes and shit if you put them behind some kind of paid wall? That's stupid. Right. Exactly. We're in it for the love of the game, folks. That's right. We're going to be. That'll that'll finally. Yeah. That'll be up. We'll link it. It'll probably be like $2.50 to $5. That'll be it. That's enough. That's all we're worth, if that. Right. Right. And, for the um, price of a cup of coffee. Yeah. That's what they always say. <laughs> Depends what kind of coffee you drink. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, but the show, the show will be free forever. Yep. And uh, the other thing I wanted to say is that I, I, I've done some extensive reading uh, on the making of the albums we've been reading since we've been uh, or discussing after we got done talking about them. And, and it turned, the, the Signet Committee seemed to get a, a, a pretty good response in the last episode. And I found a quote that I wanted to share uh, from Bowie around that time that I didn't see when we talked last time. And he said the song, uh, he basically wanted it to be a cry to fucking humanity. The beginning of the song, when I first started it, was saying, fellow man, I do love you. I love humanity. I adore it. It's sensational, sensuous, exciting. It sparkles. And it's also pathetic at the same time. And it was a cry to listen. Okay, that was the first section. And then I tried to get into the dialogue between two kinds of forces. First, the sponsor of the revolution, the quasi-capitalist who believes that he is left-wing. I would like to believe that people knew what they were fighting for and why they wanted a revolution, and exactly what it was within that they didn't like. I mean to put down a society, or the aims of, of a society, is to put down a hell of a lot of people, and that scares me. That there should be such a division where one set of people are saying that another set should be killed. You know you can't put down anybody. You can just try and understand. The emphasis shouldn't be on revolution. It should be on communication. I like that. And then the janitor comes in and says, what's all this? (laughs) (laughs) You got a character. What's this revolution you speak of? (laughs) The best character. Character of the year. He summed up pretty well what we we discussed on that song that was uh, the highlight of the record. (sighs) Oh man, that was like uh, the Mr. Uh, great moments with Mr. Lincoln's like speech there for a second. I felt like the Union Brigade was climbing up over those Gettysburg Hills. That does remind me that I, <laughs> I sent you guys a screenshot. My dad, who doesn't like to laugh at anything, texted me out of nowhere saying, uh, drunk history, watch it. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> oh. I, I will take uh, your suggestion, sir. Yep. And then he probably said some things about Howard Zinn, uh, <laughs> Noam Chomsky. It was like, I really, okay. I've really been into this guy, Ben Shapiro. Have you heard of him? Uh, oh, no, man. <laughs> I can say he's a bright young guy. <laughs> he got laughed off the airwaves. He did. That was, was hilarious. Great. That was great. What did he threaten to fight AOC? Like, what, what got him laughed off this he time? Was talking, he was talking to someone on the BBC and, uh, I don't remember exactly what he was saying, but he obviously didn't know what he was talking about. And the host started just laughing. Did the host say, what's that there? This then? No. (laughs) And uh, Ben Shapiro couldn't take it. And he just like said, this is it. This interview is over. I am way more popular than you. I think he said something like, admit that you're a left. Admit that you're left. Admit that you're left. Like they were like, it was a trap. Like it was a left wing trap against him. But uh, but Upon leaving while he was leaving, he said like, I am much, everyone knows who I am. No one knows who you are. It was a, Imagine what I just said in the chipmunk voice, and there you go. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's the sounds of a sad man walking out of like a bar. I fuck all of you. Yeah. 
I can buy and sell all of you. <laughs> we'll bring Ben Shapiro up again when we talk about the hit song, The Laughing Gnome. Ah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Re- this has been a slow <laughs> week for Nine Inch News. Listen, I'm pretty, I'm like, I'm barely five yeah. nine on a good day. All right. I got nothing to talk about. All right. Keep going. I just said today's been a, it's been a slow week for Nine Inch News. Uh, obviously, no, no boy news to report, but season one favorites, Nine Inch Nails. Apparently, there's a if you click on your favorite news app and you type in Nine Inch Nails, the thing that comes up is Foo Fighters and Nine Inch Nails stunning supergroup revealed. And uh, you shit your pants, right? Of course you shit your pants. I mean, they worked with Dave Grohl before. And then when you look down, it's the drummer from Foo Fighters, uh, Taylor Hawkins. It, yeah, not, not the good drummer, yeah, not Dave right. Grohl. It's the drummer but, yeah. from, brief drummer from Nine Inch Nails, Joss Freeze, who's a friend of the show, and uh, Weezer drummer Patrick Wilson, and they each must play different instruments because they just do a bunch of Van Halen covers at a beach fest. That's the news. Hmm. All right, that's all hmm. I got. <laughs> I wasn't that interested until I learned it was Van Halen covers, and now I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There My only is. problem with it is I, I bet Taylor Hawkins is the one singing. And uh, I was not taken aback by his participation in the Chris Cornell tribute. So I don't know. I don't, you know, he might do a good diamond Dave, but is he going to be, you know, can he hit the high highs of Sammy Hagar? Probably not. Who can, but he can, he scat though. I mean, if he can scat like, you know, I think he might be on just a gigolo, a little California girls. We are all right. Those are good songs. I, you know, I know, I know from left to right, uh, Steve, Mark, Eric, that's the, the Van Halen fandom on this podcast. <laughs> but I'm going to ask Mark uh, on the spot. Uh, why can't this be love good or bad song? Um, is that off of balance? Is that which <laughs> I don't remember the album, but it's Sammy Hagar and it's a great, it's, I think it's a great tune. Though. Hung me a few bars. What it takes. <laughs> Tell me why can't this be love? Oh, it's it's an okay song. I mean, it's Come like on, that synth- that synthesizer. That's great. It probably was off balance. Um, I'm going to say it, it's a good song. I mean, if I can remember the melody by not hearing that song for probably about maybe more than nine months ago. Yeah, I'd say it's a good song. It would fit. It would fit on this album that we're going to talk about tonight, probably. Yes, it would. All right, Eric, keep the train rolling. Yeah. What do you want? Yeah. Um, we want you to talk. Um, this is a podcast, and you lean into the mic, and you give it your all. All right, what's the, what's the next um, segment? All right, so, okay. Never Let Me Down is what we listened to. And uh, it came out in 1987. I was six. You guys were five. Yeah. Yep. That's and, about um, it. I, I mean, I, would, no, I, was, really I was six in 87, July 87. What part part of the year this one dropped? So this one dropped on 420, Smoke and Bros, <laughs> um, 1987. Oh, there you go. Yeah, All right. yeah you, you know, light it up and then you'd head on down to your local record store, pick up this hot joint and just smash that day in and day out right from the very right. beginning. Oh, yeah. Um, so I would be five because uh, my birthday would be four days away. I'd be, I'd be turning six. I, I, uh, yeah, I'd be, oh, I'd be five yeah. coming on six. I, you turned six yeah. a little before me. I'm a July boy, but yeah. So I guess I was six. I can't do math. Um, I think I was living in Citrus Heights at the time. 
I I was living in good good old Newcastle where my grandma still lives to this day after she moved into our home after we moved out. I was living in the heartbeat of California, Visalia, right there in the central main vein valley of uh of California. If you drive through there to, through there today, you will see anti-abortion posters and a bunch of farmers with lots with big signs that say Congress created dust bowl and uh you know uh is uh is is growing food wasting water um oh yes i'm familiar yeah. with that one <laughs> yeah yeah well as yes as as i may have said before my the company i work for it is amazing that what eric is saying is true but also at the same time we are a solar company who sell to farmers and uh, we keep visalia green as possible yeah but uh it it, it is an interesting uh juxtapose juxtaposition between that mentality and then the way we uh we make our hay with uh, my employer but uh right. yeah I, I spend i often when i do drive down there occasionally i usually shoot eric a text about some uh, devin nunez sign <laughs> yeah. or something oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah can't escape it we were just about to move but, uh, you know it is it is i gotta say the people down there not bad if you just talk about the right topics. No, there's some there's some so, good there stuff. Go. I uh, I often talk of the neighboring town of Visalia is Kingsburg, and my grand you know my my grandpa was the mayor. All my cousins live there still, um, and they all have great taste in music. There's actually a really good music scene in Visalia. Um, yeah, there's great people down there. Uh, Fresno's got some really cool stuff. It gets a bad rep, but it's got a it's got some really cool districts. I yeah, I'm all about it. The last time I saw the Melvins was in Fresno. Yeah. So anyways, that's where I was, but there we were go. about to move. One month later, we would move to Sacramento. Huh. And we made, we made our way up, up the, up the state. Ah, uh, yes, the cultural rainbow of Sacramento. Exactly. The arts and the services and the crafts are always big up here in Sacramento. The very even-tempered human beings. Good folk. Oh, yeah, salt of the earth. Yeah. All right. So, so that's, uh, that's, that's what was going on. And, uh, what else was happening in 1987? All right, let's Eric. go back. Let's go back. Okay. Your average income and a picture average income in a, of average American family, 24,350. That's like teacher pay. Am I right? Eric? <laughs> <laughs> it's way, it's, it's about half of teacher pay. So yeah, it's you know, eventually when we when we're, we're gonna bounce around to a recent year, and Eric's gonna say that that figure, and one of us is just gonna be like, Jesus Christ, I don't make enough money. That'll be a, <laughs> that'll be a fun yeah. night. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was the average income. Um, your monthly rent was about three ninety five, which actually, Steve, that's what we paid when we lived at Fifth and T Street back in uh, two thousand and four. <laughs> yeah, and that house looked that house looked like nobody tended to it since 1987. Yeah, so yeah I right. think the rats lived there since 1987. <laughs> the rumor is it was a form of brothel. Yeah, did the is uh, that why there was a sink in your be- bedroom? Yeah, that's why there was a sink in my yeah. bedroom. Yes. Oh yeah, you got to you got to do those uh, those uh, bird baths after after a quick call. And when the, <laughs> when that uh, that uh, home that uh, homeless lady uh, came in to uh, did she steal about three hundred and ninety five dollars <laughs> from your bedroom, Steve, while you were sleeping? It's one night. So one night I'm sleeping. She's coming in. back, Eric. You're, you know. The people can never get away from the stories. I'm sorry. No, it's true. But uh, yeah, Eric and I lived in the uh, just south of the Alkali Flats area of Sacramento, kind of. And uh, 
I woke up one night and there was just a, a homeless woman rummaging through my bedroom. It was kind of like that scene in a uh, labyrinth with the woman that steals memories. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I just said, Whoa, Hey, Whoa, what? And uh, she said, Oh, I'm uh, I'm looking for something. And I said, it's not here. And I just, I politely, but firmly grabbed her by the shoulder and just walked her out of the house. Yeah. yeah. No, she was, she was harmless, but that was great. Yeah. yeah. That was, uh, that was, yeah, that was an interesting house. Uh, and it's actually not super uh, gentrified at this point either. Uh, the park looks great, though. They really, they really park. redone that park. But anyways, uh, new car. And you know, oh, wait, hold yeah. on, hold on. Speaking of speaking of sinks in the bathroom, <laughs> we're not gonna. I'm not gonna use this as a uh, as a segue to talk about Game of Thrones this week because listen, the people are tired of hearing about Game of Thrones. We're all fans, but. You can't escape it on the internet right now. Everyone's angry because they named their daughter after a terrible human being. <laughs> but um, speaking of washing your genitals in the sink, I have been blazing through Deadwood oh, yeah. in anticipation of that movie. And right now I'm in the middle of season two. And uh, yesterday I watched that one where uh, Tom Nuttall rides his bike across town. You remember that? Mm-hmm. I do. I'm not quite there yet on my it's rewatch, the- but I vaguely remember it from the first time through. Mark, do you happen to remember that scene? I haven't watched that show probably in a decade. I mean, whenever it ended, I mean, like, yeah, I, I never, I never did a rewatch after I, you know, burned through them. That was it. But yeah, I, if I were you, I'd suggest doing it again. I'm having a, a, just a hell, hell of a time watching it. It's a Renaissance in Steven's house. Yes. And there's this scene where just the Tom Nettles, the guy that always wore the apron around his waist. Oh yeah. And he gets a bicycle and he rides it across town and every character is out there hooting and hollering as he rides by. (laughs) It's uh, the best day of his even, life. <laughs> even, even the crazy, you know, uh, guy that works for Hearst. Yeah. Uh, ever, it's, it's a joy. It's like a little Robert Altman film, that, that yeah. scene. Anyhow. Yeah. Good old That's been taking up a lot of my, my view and time as well. It's a good rewatch. Mark, recommended. All right. You bet. As soon as I'm done, I, I'll get around to it. I've, I've seen all of the, uh, I'm, I'm up to date. It's just, it's not my fault that the show went away for, a goddamn decade. And nobody's trying to make you feel it's bad about it, Mark. Just it's just telling you it's worth your time someday. <laughs> Jesus. It just goes down. It goes down. once it really starts chugging along, it goes down smooth and you just can't quit watching True. it. And every conversation's a, Keeps a joy. Chugging along, going down smooth. That's it. Hey, yeah. What a poet. Yeah. Uh here's the deal. New, like this album we're gonna talk about. If you wanted to buy a new car in 1987, it cost you about ten thousand dollars. Uh, one gallon of gas would cost you 89 cents. One pound of bacon would cost you a dollar 80. Oh man, those are some prices. That's right. <laughs> All right, here, <laughs> let's get into some news, some news and pop culture. So some news, Mark, this should perk your ears up, ears up quite a bit. This was the year they debuted Disneyland Paris. Oh yeah. Womp womp. <laughs> I still want to go though. I, I mean, uh, before I die, I'll have seen all of the goddamn parks. You can well, yeah. Before you die, Friday. at the rate they're going, Disney's gonna have they'll own all of us. They bought Hulu today, so oh wow, yep, wow. I mean, it's all part of the plan. They're gonna be entering phase three, and it'll all come. <laughs> have you not got the letter yet? Um, okay, sorry. Uh, so yeah. Anyways, there's that. Thank you, Michael Eisner. Um, Germany. This is the year. I thank him every day. This is the year that Reagan gave his Berlin Wall speech uh, on June twelfth. Um, so a little after this album dropped um, during the height of the Cold War to un- reunify Paris. Um, that 
reminds me of when I graduated eighth grade. We sang Scorpion's Wind of Change together. Oh, in, front man. Of the, in front of the school. <laughs> <laughs> Not a dry eye in the house. I'll tell you. <laughs> going, we're going to high school. Scorpions. Singing about what Germany. What grade were you in? Yeah. Eighth grade. It was like years later. This is the, yeah. yeah, we got, you must, yeah, that's some hill, that's some hill people stuff right there. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so about six years later, uh, Margaret Thatcher was elected for her third term and, um, we'll hear more about her when we talk about 87 and cry. Um, televangelist Jim Baker, uh, had his whole scandal, which, uh, televangelism was a very strange uh, trend in the eighties. Any of you listeners, if you ever got caught up in that and sent them a uh, money, I'd love to hear your story. Um, were you saved? Still is a strange. I mean, the 700 club still exists, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah. The, uh, Benny Hinn, uh, friend of the show, may he rest in peace forever. And I used to do hallucinogens and watch Benny Hinn. Have you ever watched Benny Hinn? <laughs> oh yeah. Is he the guy that speaks in uh, tongues? He's, he speaks in tongues. He's of, uh, he's of Indian descent. Oh no, not that and, guy. Sorry. I was thinking of he, another uh, guy. He like revives people and then he'll touch them on the head and they'll fly 10 feet or 20 feet away. It's there was a, was there an evangelical thing this last week with uh Falwell jr. Didn't he like take a picture of the pool boy boning his, boning his wife or something? Wasn't something, yeah. something, something of that nature, something not very Christian. Using the, I think he was, yeah. was he using Michael Cohen for that one as well? I think, I think that's where it all came out. I could be wrong. I can't keep track yeah. of all that yeah. shit anymore. And that's just how they want it. Pisses me yeah. off. Yeah. So pop culture. Um, I will say that there are many things of interest uh, to us all. Final fantasy debuted on NES in Japan in 1987. Have you guys ever played any of the final fantasy games? I've watched you play them, but no. I I am just about to start Final Fantasy Part Three for the SNES. I also, I also have the first one for the NES Classic, but have not dabbled in it yet. That's it's my it's it'll probably gonna bore you, but the the, the one you're about to play is a lot yeah, of fun. Three looks amazing. My I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that could lose us some viewership, but I do not like RPGs. Eh, they're not for everybody. The turn stuff, it's like a board game. Like, uh, I don't know. They take an incredible amount of patience, especially the old ones when you can have random attacks. You're just, you're walking <laughs> along and all of a sudden you got to fight something and you got to click a button and then yeah. you hit them and then they hit yeah. you. You click a button. <laughs> yeah, <it's>, uh, <laughs> I love the, uh, so Steve's explaining video games to me. Thank you. I, uh, uh <laughs> I'm what, a caveman. What little I've played of RPGs, like for instance, uh, Mario RPG, the seven coins is an amazing game. And, uh, you just have to have the right amount of seven stars. It's the seven stars. Yeah. Seven. Are you sure it's not the seven coins? No, nah, fuck. I'm not They're sure. coins, no. dude. You collect coins. I'm playing it right now. But, uh, you know, you get the right amount of games where those random, those random encounters actually like become like a kinetic experience where you actually have to push buttons in a certain way to make a more effective hit. Um, and the story is really good. So I think when well executed, an RPG can be really rewarding. But yeah, it's, it's a little board game ish. That's fair. Very scintillating talk. Um, I just wanted to say Thanks. that Final Fantasy Nine. Is my, my favorite I, I like one. how you told me I was boring right there, Steve. I'll make sure to I'll make sure to <laughs> save one of those for you uh, next time we go. I think it's going to fucking Van Halen stars. talk. But anyways, go sports. Hey, 
All right. Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy Nine is my favorite one. That's all I wanted to say this entire okay. time. Good to know. Uh, there's a character. When I played it, there's a character in it that I named How Job. Oh, I like it. <laughs> I think I've told that story in this fucking you have, podcast. You have. That's it. I think all you right, have. It's okay. Five demerits there, Stephen. <laughs> That's okay. We're going to mute your mic for five minutes. All right, go ahead. Uh, here we go. Wait, Eric, yeah. Eric, wait, this is important. Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars. Oh. All right, you win. Steven will not be one up when it comes to all things video games. They are, they are fucking coins, though. You're collecting seven coins. That's confusing. That's fine. It's confusing, but maybe they're... Are there stars on those coins? Maybe. Well, <laughs> Eric, listen, let, let's... I hate to re-litigate uh, this, but how often did you get to play video games when you were a kid? 30 minutes a day. Not on not yes, school and we, all, and we all know that's why you are the way you are. So you probably got this, the you know the coins and the stars mixed up. It's fine. And uh, that game, the Bible game. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, you have to you have to turn the fish into bread, or you don't go to level two. <laughs> Did you guys ever play any of those Nintendo Bible games? <laughs> I have not. There were Nintendo no. Bible yeah, games. Yeah, there were. Yeah, Oh my uh, god. All right, man. We, have, we have fun here. All right. We have fun. Uh, another uh, pop culture. This is a good year for pop culture. The Simpsons premiered on the Tracy Ullman show. Uh, it, they got their own series in 89, but for the two years before that, they were on the sketch comedy show. This was the same year that Fox Television premiered. So they kind of premiered with Fox and have been their babies ever since. And uh, Matt Groening uh, based it on his own family to a certain extent. And it was a very gnarly, messy show in those early sketches, but you know, kind of a fun. Boy. <laughs> hey boy. Boy. Yeah, boy. <laughs> boy. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's interesting. I'm glad you bring that up because uh, Mark's character on our skits is basically going to be a Tracy Ullman's character. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> What's all that? Uh, this then. <laughs> Uh, Tracy Ullman in a flat hat uh, and a jumpsuit, an oil, a grease stained jumpsuit. <laughs> yeah. Fake yep. mustache. Um, so what I, this always makes me think of the, uh, the amazing, like, what was it? The 150th episode extravaganza with Troy McClure, that episode where they, they oh, show yeah. the original ones. And then he just like, he just, he just stares at the camera. Yeah, he just stares at the camera for like five seconds, and <laughs> they haven't changed a bit, have they? <laughs> That's golden. Oh yeah, That's good stuff. Golden stuff. Good stuff. Popular films this year: Three Men and a Baby, Fatal Attraction, Beverly Hills Cop Two. Which I've got something to say about that one. That one's directed by friend of the show, even though he passed away before the show premiered. Uh, Tony Scott and uh, that one has uh, that one's like the gritty the gritty take on Beverly Hills Cop with a uh, ridiculous subplot about Judge Reinhold being a gun freak that we never knew about and he's uh, absolutely insane in that movie so enjoy that one next time you watch um, it they only did three of those movies right the third one they filmed at Great America yeah Is that yeah. yeah okay <laughs> yeah oh yeah um we got Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, wait, that all you got to say about that, Mark? <laughs> What's that? That's, That's all I had to say. I just, yeah. <laughs> I, that, I've never seen all three of those Beverly Hills Cop movies. I've only seen the part where Axel Foley, uh, played by Eddie Murphy, 
um, is dangling from one of those little like Ferris wheel things. And that's all I've seen of the Beverly Hills cop. Movies. Not unlike how uh, the cops in Rush Hour 3 are hanging from the Eiffel Tower. I feel like I feel like there's some weird set piece in both of those movies. But uh, as being I haven't seen those movies either. Oh, well, you, or Shanghai Nights. Missing out. Or Shanghai Noon. Missing out. Uh, you got Good Morning Vietnam with uh, yeah the, the Beverly Hills Cop movies were worth yeah the first oh two yeah were worth absolutely I think yeah. both of those for different reasons are a good time. Uh, uh, while well, I'm at it, forty eight hours and another forty eight hours, good yeah, absolutely. All right, keep yeah, going. You got the Untouchables, Steve. I, that's when we I remember you showed me that one for the first time. I love that movie. I love I love that De Palma. Yeah, that one's that one's great. Uh, I think we quoted all the really racist stuff that Sean Connery says in that movie for uh, about uh, <laughs> about Irishmen for a while. Yeah, no, just just find the scene where somebody breaks into his house and you're going to get all you're going to get the whole thing. <laughs> uh, Stakeout with Dreyfus. Oh, uh, who who is? Oh, Amelia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not to be confused with Stakeout, too, which they added uh, Rosie O'Donnell to the to the to the group. But was it titled another stakeout sure was. just like another 48 hours? Sure was. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's how there was a, just like uh, the road to Wellville and then another road to Wellville. We got the uh, lethal weapon that year. I stand by that first film. It's a good movie. It's a good time. It's a good time. First, uh, the, I don't know. The first two lethal weapons are all yeah. right. Uh, I, you know, Joe Pesci as, you know, Leo gets. Okay. You know? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, my acting. Aunt, I'll watch. No, I will, my I will watch all of the, I'm a fan of the series. I'm just saying the first one is ah. a solid film. The second one has a lot of redeeming qualities as well, including Danny Glover sitting on a toilet bomb. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. My aunt took me to see the third one at a drive-in in, in uh, Redding, California, and it was a double feature with Far and Away. All right, Makes sense. something for her, something for the him, <laughs> you know, something for Daddy, something for her, you know. <laughs> uh, Witches of Eastwick. That's a that's kind of a cool movie. That's kind of a crazy, crazy, crazy little quirky movie. I don't know. Have you guys seen that one? It's been. It's been years. I right. was probably Decades. yeah. Decade. I mean, yes. But listen, it's Jack, right? Jack, baby. He's he's always a good time. And then uh, uh, you're uh, who's in that? Who's in that one? Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's in that one. Share, 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 share. Michelle Pfeiffer. It's uh, yeah. There's a that that one's pretty rad. Last Emperor. Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. Right? Doesn't it have no. a. That is, he must. I think. No, he, last. I'm, I'm thinking of Empire of the Sun. I think Last Emperor was Martin Scorsese. Or I'm also insane. I I have no idea, but I remember what the VHS looked like. Barry Gordy's Last Dragon. Yeah, that is a movie for. That is a movie for the people. But the Last Emperor is. Uh, oh yeah, I think you are right. Bernardo Bertolucci. Oh, there you go. There you go. It's, it's part of. It's, it's part of that whole. They're like, you know, they're all kind of cousins of each other. All those movies. Really? Oh, man. <laughs> that, you know, uh, I'm thinking of Kundun by Martin Scorsese. I'm hoping that's how you pronounce it. I've only seen it in print and never said out loud. Um, and uh, then you got Empire of the Sun. Which is a Batman. That's, yeah, young Batman. Um, and, then, and then this one. 
This year gave us the hell of a hell of a triple feature. Those three. <laughs> this year gave us Wall Street. Gave us uh, Stephen Chambers' favorite, Dirty Dancing. Yes, uh, dear listeners, have I told this story before, Eric? To, I don't show? know about it on the show. You told it to me, but oh, of course, this is a part of Chambers' lore. Yeah. For whatever reason, Stephen and his little brother, growing up when I was five or six or seven and he was uh, like two, we watched dirty dancing every day for a summer. It's bizarre. But well, we that's did. how you got your dance moves. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Possibly more importantly, it, we got the film RoboCop, which somehow still holds up as a brutal shocking film to this day. I just watched it a couple months ago and I was like, yeah, that would still be hardcore today. That's, that's crazy. That movie's crazy. And also it's, it's a, I think it's closer to the reality of today than it was the reality of 1987. Right. Yeah. It, with the commentary on commercialism. Exactly. Whatnot. Yeah. I, I, it's a, it's a, it's a great film. It's got a, it's got a ministry, ministry side project doing a song in it. It's got a half the cast of twin peaks trying to either murder you or sexually assault you. And, uh, it's super violent. So what else can I say? And also that it, it, it had social commentary, but also a cartoon spun out of it. It's <laughs> weird. In the eighties, you had the RoboCop cartoon, the Rambo cartoon. Police Academy cartoon. Yeah. The real Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't necessarily a radar movie, but yeah, it's another one. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and we got, and the last, the last top film was Moonstruck, which uh, gave us Nick Cage and, Share. Share again. Yep. And uh, uh, when the moon hits the sky like a big a pizza pie, that's Amore. It was a, it was a big song from that film. Big song. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Big song. That Is reminds that- me that tonight I learned of a big song that was in many movies that I had no idea was by an artist that we're going to talk about. All right. <laughs> Is that artist that. David Bowie? Because this is a David <laughs> Bowie podcast. Exclusively no, we're talking about, only talking about David Bowie. That's right. So just to paint the picture of the music world, uh, Michael Jackson dropped the album Bad. I remember watching the video on primetime TV. That's right. The world still doesn't know what to do with Michael Jackson at this point in 2019. We'll check back with you on what we, how we feel about him in a little bit. Uh, then we got... I think he, he got... He's canceled, I, is what I, I'm hearing. He's, he's done. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, depending upon which... I'm pretty sure he's in, he's in the dust. I think bin. he is, uh, yeah, as far as I'm concerned as well. As far as I'm concerned. Um, I feel like the nail has... Very hit, hot take. Jim. I feel like the nail hasn't hit, hasn't hit the coffin hard enough on that one. That's why I said it's still out for debate. But yeah, I think we're all in the same camp as, as far as that goes. Um, yeah. Lyle Ritchie, Fleetwood Mac, Tango in the Night. Uh, Peter Gabriel was blowing up solo style. Janet Jackson dropped... Um, let's see here. Whitney Houston became a powerhouse and, uh, as the George Michael's faith album. Have you guys watched that Whitney Houston documentary on, uh, I think that's on Hulu. I I have not. seems a little, is it a little exploitative? It seems a little sad. I don't know. I haven't seen it. No, I think it's more appreciative, endearing. Okay. It doesn't. Yeah, towards the end of things there, it's hard not to 
it's material that was exploited as it happened with between her and Bobby Brown. Right. So sure. they paint, you know, they do what they can. I, I thought it was good. It actually made me appreciate her music more. She has a lot of good songs. Right. So. Uh, Los Lobos, uh, a band that actually I've actually seen live at like a Tucson State Fair. Um, hot take here. They had a couple kind of cool songs. But anyways, they, they the La Bamba movie dropped and they were the band in that movie. So there's that. Uh, yes, the Wolves. That's right. And then uh, U2, friends of the show, U2. Joshua Tree uh, came out. Smash. Phenomenon. With or Without You was the single. I will also attest that is a classic album for very good reasons. It's a good one. Mark, 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 uh, force fed it. Where does it, where does the rank? It's great. Where's the rank, Mark? Is it number one? No, it's not number one, but it's, uh, probably number two. Actually, it's probably, uh, it's probably number three. I'd probably go rank them. Octoon, baby. Uh, then number two would be, uh, war. War. And then number three would be probably Joshua tree. <clears throat> and then how to lo- make love to a bomb. Um, that's, uh, right there at number four, how to destroy, or I don't know how the fuck that album is. Um, yeah, that one's ranked pretty low for me. Um, rattle and hums number zero. God, rattle and hum. What a mess, but this isn't you two talk. Let's that's another podcast. It, it is. It is. Uh, it literally is what inspired this one. <laughs> that's true. Yep. All right. That's all I got on 87 guys. That was a long one, but I feel like it's an entertaining year for pop culture. Thanks for bearing with me. And, uh, hold on. Oh, hold on. Oh, yeah. My bad. All right. Your Minnesota twins won the world series over the St. Louis Cardinals. Also that same year, Catfish Hunter from the Oakland days was inducted into the baseball hall of fame. He has a very good mustache. The Los Angeles Lakers uh, won the finals over the Celtics. And uh, what happened to football? What it was the heyday of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. It was. Um, great documentary on 30 for 30. Check it out. Oh, 30 for 30. Very uh, exhausting. Uh, that Bill Simmons fellow. And uh, I'm not going to... Up, up. Uh, American football looks like the New York Giants beat the Broncos in the Super Bowl. And that was the sports talk. We're done, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, if you're a hockey fan, the Sharks are in the final or the the Western Conference Finals. I don't understand. Who knows? That. We don't know how that works. Yeah, not, not, not why pretend. All right. Yeah. Oh boy, we really. <laughs> Really painting a picture about the year of 1987, didn't we, Eric? I think it's important. I mean, we didn't even talk about the fashion, but, you know, last time you guys made fun of me for bell bottoms, but let me just tell you, there were Rolexes, there were shoulder pads, there were crew neck sweaters. It was a year of fashion in 1987. I think unnecessary uh, suspenders was kind of a look sometimes. I think you're right. Sure. I think you're absolutely right. And what? I think we also got, uh, we got mitten scarves. We got uh, buckle boots, uh, leggings. It was quite, it was quite, yeah, suspender pants. There were, <laughs> yeah, it shows up right here, suspender pants. Uh, pants with built-in suspenders, denim jackets, belted slacks. Hell of a year. For Hell of a year. You're not just reading that off the internet. You knew all that off the top of your head. I knew half of it, and then when you said suspender pants, I double-checked, and that is for sure on the internet. So, so you tell me then, though. What is, what is this right here then? 
Um, <laughs> David Bowie. What was going on with him? I don't know. He was he was doing circus chic this whole album. I mean, his style. Are you talking about his style, his fashion, or are you talking about him? I think we're both. just talking about Bowie in 1987. Uh, yes. well, so what's uh, how how did this album come to be? Well, I can get started here. Um, he had uh, just come off his Let's Dance tour called the uh, Serious Moon Knight tour. Got the DVD of that. It's a pretty good watch. Um, but he was feeling like, and then he had to like force his second album within like less than a year of Let's Dance called Tonight and uh, was feeling burned out, was feeling like he was pressured by the 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 uh, record label to make a new album and uh, felt like he didn't know his fans anymore. He was suddenly bigger than he's ever been in his life and didn't know who he was performing for anymore. You know, it's easier to perform for a niche than to perform for everybody. And that's where he was at this point. So he wanted to do a Back to Basics album. <clears throat> in his head, he thought he was going to make a, like almost a sequel to Scary Monsters with his album. Um, yeah, that's, uh, and I, I could see parts of that. I could, I could see where he might've thought that audibly. Right. Um, he had been coming off of, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is clean living David Bowie. I mean, he had come off of his addictions. He was, he had reappeared in the let's dance era as looking like a healthy strapping young man. And, uh, I think, you know, personal life wise, he was, he was, I think he was doing pretty well as far as, you know, uh, recovering from some of the addictions of the seventies. Um, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. It sounds like it. Yep. Yeah. And he, uh, he and Erdal Kizilke, um, they worked on a, a few demos and, um, got a full band to record their album, uh, which they did in, uh, what overlooking the Swiss Alps. <clears throat> Yeah, there's ne never let me down. And like, as you listen to it, you can definitely tell that even though David Bowie was saying it was going to be uh, a callback to more noble artistic endeavors as opposed to Tonight and Let's Dance, which were popular as all hell, but, you know, maybe didn't really uh, make him feel like he was exactly making work that should have been in the Smithsonian. But, um, yeah, the... The, the the band was a, like old and new folks. Yeah, had a Carlos Alomar was there who I don't think Carlos Alomar has been on any of the albums we've talked about yet. Unless no. he was on Black no. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he, Carlos Alomar on guitar, uh, Ertl Kliz Clay, Kizzle Clay on keyboards. Uh, Peter Frampton of all people is on this record. Sure and uh, Peter Frampton. Was that? He said he sure is. He left yeah. his talk box at home, though, it sounds like. He did. Uh, Peter was on the, uh, Peter and David were uh, the high, our schoolyard buddies, apparently, from the old days. Uh, Carmine Rojas on bass. Philip Sassy on piano. A gentleman named Crusher Bennett on percussion. And I tell you, that's a great name for any kind of percussionist. He's uh, also the catcher for the Houston Astros, but go ahead. Lori Frank on trumpet, Earl Gardner on trumpet, and uh, Eric's favorite instrument, the flugelhorn. Uh, Stan Harrison on alto sax. Steve Elson on baritone sax. Lenny Pickett on tenor sax. Robin Clark 
Loney Groves, Diva Gray, and Gordon Grody as the backing vocals. <laughs> a gentleman named Sid McGinnis. Guitar. He sounds exactly bang, like bang. the damn sketch from. <laughs> There's a lot. Know, there's a sketch from that i'll be, that, I'll like be leaving uh show which is great uh with tim heidecker like but yeah, like the, the jazz nerd character that is a fun show that i'm almost done and clearly the amount of people on this you can hear that there's way too many people on this yes. album you listen to it. yes uh, yes coco sandro chauvin suchi clement john algae backing vocals on these Zero. are all like and these are all like people that live in switzerland right Yes, and a little gentleman named Mickey Rourke ah. rapping on Shining Star, Making My Love. It was recorded at the Mountain Studios in Montreux ah. and the Power Station Studios in New York. Okay. Produced by David Bowie and David Richards. So our buddy Tony Visconti is nowhere to be seen. He, uh, he, w- he didn't want to be part of this mess. <laughs> Just, I wonder what Tony thought when yeah. he first heard this album. Huh. <laughs> I... Probably thought I thought David quit doing drugs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> What's all this that there? This <laughs> uh, oh, we're not yeah. doing it now. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it, it was overly overly produced. Too many people were on it, and uh, at the time when they were recording it, the you know, whenever artists are putting out a new album, they always say it's the, the typically it's the best thing they've ever worked on. And, uh, you know, uh, Carlos Alomar said it was the most fun doing an album they've ever had because it was really coming back to just us and not all the outside influences. So apparently they felt like they were being influenced by themselves. Mm. I, uh, I see a little of that in the record. I see a little scary monsters here, but at the same time, I see a lot of like, let's dance 1980s nonsense going on, which I thought they were trying to get away from. Uh, and I would say, I would actually add a, when you're in the middle, I would actually add a counterpoint to that comparison that I think, I think let's dance's high points have, um, a, give itself a little room, uh, give itself a little room to be a little more artistic and creative than these songs ever get. So if they were, if they were trying to get away from that, uh, I guess they did, but not in the right direction. Well, it's interesting that, like, what, and I agree with you to an extent, but uh, also, like I was saying, that when the artist's putting out a record, they're usually championing, champion, championing it. But uh, Carlos Alomar even, like, a couple years later said that David Bowie seemed like he was at a loss during the whole record and that the music was totally over-rehearsed and uh, overproduced and everything was over-demoed. So I can definitely hear that. These the original versions of these songs, there's a lot going on, and it feels like it might be like the twentieth take. Not that nothing sounds spontaneous, right? So like definitely. So my kind of like first impression on the sound is very similar. It's the sound of the 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 album has an '80s sound. It's dated, but that's not really the problem. The problem is is everybody's playing over each other the whole time. There's really, except for a few exceptions, there really is no space for any dynamics or anybody to kind of, you know, rising action, so to speak. And so I'm saying with a few exceptions. But, um, and what's crazy about this one is we'll talk about it as we go through it. I'll mention the different versions of every song. Um, 
like half this album was remixed for singles, was remixed for videos, was remixed for dance clubs. Like they were like, this album in itself doesn't have anything that we can sell. What can we do with what we've got to make it more palatable? And they tried some stuff and they tried it a lot. So much so that this album is what, 11 songs? When I made my playlist of all the different versions of this this album, it expanded to 52 songs. So, yeesh. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds it sounds like kind of like a, a you know, a, David Bowie was he was even if he wasn't at his most art, artistically high points, more popular than ever in the mid 80s. And uh, some of the, the, the archives in this say that he felt like EMI forced him into the studio uh, just to make a record and his heart wasn't totally in it. And I think you can kind of see that. And uh, he, he wrote 12 songs on his own uh, with arrangements and everything. And he gave it to everyone else and basically said, Hey, take what I made and just make, make it sound like what I made, but make it sound better. And you, it's, it's kind of like a, 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 a Frankenstein that got loose. And like Eric just said, there's a billion remixes. The original versions of the songs are just overdone to death. So yeah, I think the biggest yeah, it, 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 go on, Steve. Oh, I was going to say it at its heart. I hear, I think they had, they tried to make the best of what they could by being maybe going to work a little sooner than they wanted to. And uh, I, you can just, the, the end product uh, the end product is definitely what you're, what it should have been considering the circumstances it was made under, which was, it seemed more commercial driven than anything. And I would say like, there is a layer to criticism that's fair about it sounding dated because it's a bunch of 80 cents and um, shredding guitar and honking sacks. Um, that is very like it by 87. That was, that was old hat. It's not unlike the low points of the last album we discussed, Space Oddity, because um, Bowie's always got a timeless sound to him. So whenever he sounds dated, um, that's concerning. But that's not even my problem with this. My problem with this is the album versions of, of everything, for the most part, and not, not every track, but for the most part, there's a muddled sound to it. It's like there was no equalization going on. Every instrument had the same EQ. You like usually like when somebody's engineering an album, you want to make this a little wetter and make this a little drier and make this a little warmer. But everything had the same like reverb and echo settings down the board. So it just sounds like mud. It just sounds like synth bass going and then like synth going over it and then guitar going and it just turns into a fucking mud waterfall that all sounds the same. It's like somebody was like, hey, should we make the bass a little warmer? Fuck no! Make it sound the same as everything else. And like, I, this thing is just, it's just so static in its sound. Everything's muddy. Nothing shines in the music. And that's my, that's my uh, early summation of the album as a whole. But there are some high points that I can't wait to talk yeah, about. And that, yeah, and that was kind of, I mean, it didn't, it didn't come out. This isn't something that, in hindsight, is uh, completely looked at differently. It came out, it peaked at number six on the charts, but it was the worst uh, David Bowie album since 1971 uh, performance wise. And uh, the majority of the reviews like give it, you know, they, they give it for uh, like a, a two. If uh, you know, uh, it's, it's not the worst thing you've ever heard, but it's, 
just really middling. And uh, the, the, the Rolling Stone said that, you know, Bowie, after all, is still supposed to be a trendsetter, a canny chameleon who knows just when to change color. But it's hard to believe that he's head of the times when he sports Don Johnson stubble and sings lyrics that mention, of all things, Top Gun. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's fair. Um, And just trying to be a child of the times. (laughs) Yeah. For our Jay Sherman quarter, when the when it came out, the critics weren't very kind to it. No. And uh, we actually have neither was David Bowie soon. We did a little experiment with our listeners about their opinions on this. And we actually got some mixed reviews. So we will get to those a little bit later in the show. So thank you for contributing. And we'll talk yeah, about it a little I, later. So yeah, it came, came out in 87, the glass t- spider tour followed, which was uh, pretty over the top and had a giant glass spider. Uh, I think uh, a big part that I've read uh, is that the glass spider tour was actually like in his head before the album was written. A lot of this was written to be a theatrical component to that show. Like, you know, um, almost like the songs weren't meant to stand alone. They were supposed to be a part of that tour. So you can see that in a few tracks for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll we, we can, we'll have our final thoughts after the album, but I, I think it's, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Now I think the majority, I mean, okay, let's, is this the first time you guys actually listened to it all the way yes. through? Yes. No. Focused on it? It is for me. Okay. So uh, and yes focused on it? Yes, absolutely. But this is not the first time I, you yeah. know. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I, I spun it maybe once or twice, but I don't know. I think a lot of my opinion just is formed from seeing it so often in the used section at the record store. I mean, when you see an album that often in the used section, you're telling yourself, this can't be good. Right. But, so, uh, I don't remember. If I, I, I know I never bought it. If I ever did listen to it, it was free somewhere. Yeah. Um, well, my son Lennox, who loves Bowie, um, I'm sure we'll play his review at some point tonight. He has been collecting magazines with Bowie, and I've read them all. And so, like, whenever it gets to the, like the retrospective, the Never Let Me Down era, that's I'm not gonna say it's for my opinion, but I it's clear that this is the rock bottom album as far as critics are concerned. So, as far as critics are concerned, and maybe himself personally, yeah. True. But as far as the nadir of David Bowie goes, I would put this on any day of the week instead of putting hours on it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, you know, honestly, uh, at least, I mean, it's been quite some time since I've revisited hours. So potentially that could be getting the same effect this record did for me. Um, no. <laughs> I mean, we'll just have to see, but I, I mean, yeah. chances are not likely, uh, but we'll get into my final yeah. thoughts on this record when we're all done with our track by track. Well, we should, yeah, I guess we're kind of getting, yeah, we should start the track by track, but it, yeah, it, it can't, you it, know, it's important to mention when we do the track by track, a few things we're going to talk about the song. I will mention the remix roundup, the alternate versions as we talk about them, because I've listened to them all nonstop for 48 hours. So you can think, you can think about what you want about me. And Eric is now sitting in a very comfortable room. You can think about who I am and uh, where I am on the spectrum, and that's fine. But uh, I have done that, so we'll do that. And we will also talk about the 2018 version, which... Um, uh, a producer, what was the, what, do you, anybody have that handy? I have it somewhere. Mario McNulty. Mario McNulty was an engineer. He's worked with David Bowie in the past and he decided to breathe new life into uh, Never Let Me Down Again with all new arrangements and production. And there's actually and, a little history to that. Um, they, it's featured off of, 
Oh, sorry. Go on. Yeah. Go on. No, you keep going, Mark. Uh, it's just featured on the loving the alien box set. You can find that on most streaming services to check that out. There is a history that ties to Bowie with that though. He and Bowie redid time will crawl for the, um, what is it? The I music, uh, was that I select, I select, uh, best of hit. So they did that together and Bowie did tell him like, I wish I could do the whole album this way. So after he died, um, McNulty was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to do it. So he did do that for that. And we will kind of talk about those versions when it's, you know, necessary. So yeah, that will be a part well, of the I think, Yeah. I'd, I'll probably want to cover the, let's talk about the original, talk about the 2018 one, and then you can talk about the remix. Yep. Song by yep. song. Perfect. There you go. I'm ready. Let's fucking keep it, keep it mercifully brief on those remixes, please, Eric. Welcome back. Uh, so now we're going to do a little bit of uh, track by track on the David Bowie record, Never Let Me Down. So let's hear a little bit of track one, which is Day In, Day Out. that was day in and day out uh so here here's some of my initial thoughts it's it's got some cheesy production there's no doubt about it but for whatever reason it actually is it seems to work for me um uh the song is about america's uh society's view on homelessness and uh the video which we can talk about that later after you kind of get your uh two cents on on this song but i actually like this song um the first time i actually heard it was not off this record i think i had a best of bowie which was a uh two disc on Ryko, but it wasn't the changes bowie and um i i could kind of feel that this song was in his later works in the 80s which was always like you guys had said just to be the era of bowie that you just got to avoid and so i didn't really give it the time of day but um I actually do like this song for whatever reason. Um, and the 2018 version for me, it sounds pretty close to the original production, but it just adds a little more live instrumentation rather than synthesized instrumentation. But yeah, I like this song. I would, I, agree. I would agree. This is one of the few songs that I think the 2018 re the 2018 re I, I'll come back to this a lot. The 2018 re-recording of this um, oftentimes isn't, in my opinion, isn't better or worse than the original, but, um, but, uh, if the song's already good, it kind of gets a little better. And if the song's already bad, uh, it kind of gets a little bit easier on the ears, but it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't add anything. And in this song, I think it adds a lot. I actually do like the 2018 version a little better. Um, I am not a anti eighties production, 75% uh, of the music I listened to came out in the eighties and is very synth heavy. It's just the product. Like I was saying before, the production value, the engineering is very flat on this album. And I think this song does suffer that from that a bit. 
However, um, the uh, well, let's start with the song itself. The single version uh, is very similar to the original, except that the bass is lifted up a little bit, and it's the the way they use the um, backup singers is way more effective. Um, so the song's a little catchier. The video, I don't know. I have really mixed feelings about this video, guys. Um, it was directed by Julian Temple. And it's basically a video where, like, you see a bunch of homeless people in the streets, and they're just kind of, like, making noise or walking around. There's a girl shoplifting. And I think it's, like, half and half. I think half of the actors are actually homeless. And I think half of them are actors playing homeless, but they all look like cartoon characters of homeless people. So like the lyrics themselves are pretty sympathetic, which I appreciate, but the video is almost like exploitative and like David Bowie's fucking roller skating and playing guitar through a camp of homeless people. Exactly. It's kind of of fucking insensitive. I don't know. I'm not crazy about the video at all. Well, Um, and they're playing in the middle of a subway as well, or a train station. Like uh, Carlos Alomar is wearing a, a goddamn uh, eye patch. Um, yeah. I don't know who the the other big guy is playing guitar next to him. I, yeah, it, I don't. Yeah, it's it's kind of fucked. I I'm not a fan of that. Um, the song itself though is is super catchy. It's been in my head for weeks. Um, and I, the lyrics aren't bad at all. I mean, there's some great lines about it. Um, uh, about specifically about the USA and how they treat the homeless. Um. And the video actually ends, I think, strongly where you suddenly see a house and this homeless family is there. But then like the U.S. like the U.S. cops and like tanks and stuff come on the house and it gets kind of scary. Like, I think that becomes actually like effective art at that point. But the rest of it doesn't make any fucking sense. And it's, it is exploitative. But, you know, it's funny that video was uh, banned. I don't know if MTV banned yeah. it, but some networks banned it, which I guess well, David Bowie was like. What, it, was ban- it was banned by the, it was banned by the BBC. Oh, okay. And, and uh they, they, Mr. Bowie was uh interested that at the same exact time La Isla Bonita by Madonna didn't catch any flack, which has some uh very suggestive uh imagery. Right. And uh yeah, he he was kind of taken he was kind of flabbergasted why his video got banned. There's a scene where a guy in a, like a Rolls Royce rolls up to a, a girl walking on the street. She's homeless. And I think he assumes she's a prostitute and like forces her in his car and like rips her clothes off. That might be, that it might've been why it was banned. But anyways, I do think yeah, in the video that she was going to prostitution though. Oh, she was, she was, she was a, she was a, she was a, <laughs> a ye old street walker. Okay. Yeah. Good, good yeah. to know. Good to know. I could yeah, also, a kid spells out uh, mom food and fuck on a children's bill, uh, play blocks in the, the video. As so. kids will do. <laughs> kids will be kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The songs, it's, it's all right. Uh, it's, it's catchy chorus. Uh, I, I, the horns, even though the horns are actual, the honest to God living uh, hornists. Are they? They sound like will. a fucking Casio. It does sound like a Casio, and that really pulls me out. And of that's it. my point about the production. It doesn't matter what the yeah. musicians were doing. The e- the equalization makes it all sound fucking flat and the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, there, there's a couple tracks on here. Like, I think there's a good song buried in here. Yeah. I think, I think it's funny. The 2018 version doesn't move the needle much for me. Right. Uh, some of the other songs it really does, but not this right. one. Um, 
No, I, I, I like that chorus. Um, his vocals in general on this album are really good. I think they're, they are the highlight of most of the songs. And uh, I do like the delivery. Um, and I like the, the, uh, the cuckooing in between some of the, uh, the verses. Um, but it's just, this could be a Phil Collins song. <laughs> it, it, um, the drums would have to have a little more reverb on them um, because I, they do sound pretty flat rather than sounding like big and open. Um, I will agree with you on the vocal delivery um, and the, and his so, uh, singing style. Um, he definitely hits some of those high highs and still able to, uh, you know, really scream at the pow, pow. Yeah. Is that the song? Uh, I, or is that fucking bang, bang? Um, <laughs> I don't remember pow pows in this. Uh, there is this was this, this was though the late '80s, moving into the '90s, and this is where there was there's going to be a billion versions of every song and tons of different uh, singles and twelve inches and uh, you know CDs and cut singles and in addition to vinyl. And so, Eric, this one has a billion remixes, doesn't it? Does. It does. And like I said before, I actually like, I think every, almost every, actually every version of this after the album version is an improvement, but only a slight improvement. Um, the single version is a little shorter. Um, it's got like the bass and the drums are more defined. The drums have more reverb in that one. Um, and the, back, the backup singers are actually more effective. And then there's something called the Groucho mix, <laughs> which is, don't get me wrong, still cheesy as fuck, but the drums are bigger and there's more of like a kind of a club vibe to it, um, which anything that makes it more distinctive than the original version, I think is a good thing. So it's an interesting listen. And then the 2018 version is very similar, except the production is better and it's with more organic instruments. So it's, I think it's slightly better than the original, but not like, oh my God, this was an amazing song and I never knew it. It's not like that good. But anyways, those are the, that, that's what I got on day in, day out. Yeah. All right. Well, let's hear another. Uh... Hold on. Hold on. Um, we'll just edit this a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, one interesting little side note was that uh, yeah, this song was performed on the, the Glass Spider tour and David Bowie's first concerts in Spain were on that tour. And there is a version of this with Spanish. Oh, that's vocals. right. That's right. The old, no. uh, the old Rosetta Bowie that we've always been talking about all the different languages he does. It's true. That's yeah. a, we'll have to put a mix together. And there will be day. another one on here as well in Japanese that we'll get to later. Oh boy. Uh, um, yeah. Not the, not the best opener. I would have went with something else, but yeah. you know, yeah. uh, I, I do think this right. is a funny quote really quick. Uh, Neil Tennant from the pet shop boys, a band that would remix Bowie later with Hello Space Boy, a band that actually I weirdly like and can't get away from, but they, um, Neil Tennant was, was interviewed about around this time. And he said, I always liked pop music. It, it had a sense of wonder to it, but would you rather see Bowie in roller skates, like in the day in day out video, or would you rather see him dressed as a clown walking along a beach in Hastings with a bunch of new romantics? I imagine it's the latter. And uh, anyways, I just like that, that, that kind of like, snarky take on where he was going during this era yeah yeah <laughs> yeah fair enough all and right that video that video is not good i have a problem with that video but let's let's move on to track two track two so uh time will crawl let's hear a little bit of time, time will crawl
All right, that was Time Will Crawl. Uh, so I think it's a really catchy song, um, even in the original form. It's got really huge reverb drums that really kick it off. Uh, the song itself is really about uh, the nuclear accident in uh, Chern- uh, Chernobyl, um, which um, I don't know a whole lot about that. I know that there's currently an HBO miniseries that can tell me all about it. But uh, as I was telling Eric earlier off mic, there's I'm drowning in content. I mean, these guys just yelled at me for not revisiting Deadwood for the second time in my life. So I'm trying. Um, yep. Spankings will come later. <laughs> Uh, the video has performance art dancers that are in a warehouse and Bowie's mugging all over the camera. Uh, my favorite mm. part of that is Peter Frampton just looking like he needs to find somewhere to plug in. And he just looks very amused at all of the theatrics going on around him. I don't know if you guys had an opportunity to see that. Video is ridiculous. That video is, first of all, it's like circus imagery from the album cover. Is it? The one that I, I mean, saw on YouTube and uh, no, it's just... No, I watched the same one as you. It, I'm not saying it's the same cover, but there are points in there where it's it gets into like some some like three ring shit. I don't know. Am I wrong about that? I I feel like I no, got that. I, it's like Circuit de Soleil people. Circa yeah. I feel like doing, I got I got some of that in there, but... They're like doing like performance dancing as Bowie. It's kind of like, it's like Circuit de Soleil meets uh, Flashdance. Yeah. yeah. Kind of. There is some excellent and Eric and I. Bowie. Eric oh, came over. Sorry, go on. Eric came over a few weekends ago, a, a few Friday nights ago, and uh, we watched that video together. And uh, it is something. Um, yeah. There is some uh, excellent Bowie pantomiming in that video that we talk about often, uh, mm-hmm. and pretty much like everything he talks about in the song, they try to like act it out as they're doing it, interpretive dancing. Um, but it's yeah, it's I don't even understand yeah. how anybody thought that was entertaining time, but the song is great. In my opinion, I think it is. I'm talking, I'm I, talking about a, I'm talking about a high water song for this album. Yeah. Uh, time, time will crawl has some cheesy moments, but in my opinion, it is the, it is the most dynamic musically on the album where like every instrument plays a part. Um, his vocals actually sound like he's not trying too hard, which he does for most of the songs on this. He actually manages to be pretty chill when he's singing in like a, in a good way. It sounds, it sounds contemplative and wistful, but also catchy at the same time. I mean, uh, when he was recording it, uh, or when they were recording the album, um, what was, what, what's the old story? One of the engineers came in and was like, what's oh, there, this then no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Is, yeah, and yeah. the janitor came and said, no, no. "Oi, uh, what's this then? There's something going on in Russia." Yeah. Now, you know, I got a quote directly here. Where he said, "One Saturday afternoon in April '86, me along with some other musicians, we were taking a break from recording at Montreux Studio in Switzerland. It was a beautiful day, and we were outside on a small piece of lawn facing the Alps and the lake. Our engineer, who had been listening to the radio, shot out of the studio and shouted, "There's a whole lot of shit going on in Russia.'" The Swiss news had picked up a Norwegian radio station that was screaming to anyone who would listen. The huge billowing clouds were moving over from the motherland and they weren't rain clouds. This was the first news in Europe of the satanic Chernobyl. And funny enough, a song we'll talk about later. um, uh, uh, When the wind blows, he was actually literally recording that song when the engineer busted out and said that, uh, that, uh, that, that bit of news. So that's just, kind of because that's a cold war song so anyways it's interesting but 
I am. I think it's a a great song. Uh, this is my in my opinion. This is the top song on the album, as well as I'll probably get back to later. Um, I like uh, I like it all. Um, I like the sax. The sax is uh, underused or just the right amount of use. The horn solo is great, and I like the uh, the synth work is like ding 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 ding. Yeah, it's the, the synth work. The synth work in the second half of the um the song as it plinks along uh, while there's some of that uh, horn work going on is great. And uh, I like how the guitar kind of gets out of the way and lets the, the horn shine a bit. Um, yeah. It's one of the only songs thing, they're not playing all over each other for the whole fucking time. That it, it really does breathe well. And uh, it breathes even better on that 2018. Version I think so night. too. I, I, I do too. Yep. They give everything the, the 2018 version. They allow for just uh, acoustic guitar and vocals to for the the beginning of the song, and they kind of let the other instruments come in. It's got a um, cool string arrangement. It, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it really actually sounds like it could fit on Heathen. Yeah, I could see that. I, I yeah, yeah. It's a good. Um, I think it's a good production good, for sure. Those best 2018 versions sound like they sound like good early OO David Bowie. Yeah. I think. That airy kind of David Bowie I was talking about when we talk about Black Stars that not not black not how Black Star sounded, but around Heathen Reality, there was that sense of uh room for instruments to move around on those records. Yeah. I really like. And I think this for the 2018 version of this really gets that. And it, can I go back to something real quick? Um, I did want to mention that uh Mark, a friend of the show directed the video for Time Will Crawl. Do you know who that was? I don't. Tim Pope. All right, Crow Two. <laughs> yeah, <Crow two. laughs> uh, the best. How did you I'm know that? How did you know that? I I just know my shit. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also part of our lore. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it was also you know directed a lot of the best Cure videos. Okay, I can see that. He, yeah, Crow Two with starring Iggy Pop. I'm not afraid. Um, <laughs> uh, I yeah. I would and uh, some of the some of the dancing they did in that video actually was heavily. Those are the same dancers that were on the glass spider tour. So that's what they were kind of getting keyed up to do. Yeah. Huh. That's um, wild. The, uh, one of which was Bowie's girlfriend at the time, which we'll get to in the next song. Um, uh, there are some of the lyrics we were making fun of the top gun lyrics and that's fair because of the era. I mean, top gun had come out. Um, but there was a kind of a major Tom vibe to that verse. He took a top gun pilot he made him fly through a hole till he grew really old, never came down and just flew until he burst. Um, the whole song's kind of like about just a disaster, right? It's, a, it's about Chernobyl. It's about how somebody in your neighborhood could create the end of the world. Um, and uh, just kind of going from character to character that's kind of experiencing these like scientific based cataclysms or not cat- what fucking catastrophes is what I meant to say. Cataclysms. <laughs> <laughs> anyways hello priest but uh anyways you uh you get what i'm saying though like there's some major tom vibes with that i don't know for some reason for me it hit me it hit me with some major tom stuff um uh and most of the rest of the lyrics are about like how people adjust and affect and like mutate to uh like uh, uh the chemical the the, the uh, nuclear fallout uh, our mouths run dry our feet grow small our tails fall off we crawl to the 21st century uh, lose. And uh, that, that gives me kind of bad witch vibes about like uh, de-evolution 
based on uh, human error. So, anyways, I kind of I, I kind it. of enjoy the lyrics to the song. Yeah, they're probably the strongest. Well, I wouldn't say the strongest lyrics in the whole record because there's some. Um, uh, yeah, Tolkien nonsense coming up, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one, this one is probably his most political off the album. Well, eighty-seven and cry, but this one does it better. So, yeah, no, it's a it's a strong it's a strong showing the original and the uh, the the remake, yeah. and um, the remake also. This one was actually the inspiration for the two thousand eighteen album. This was the one that they did together for that. Uh, the I cho- was it uh, I select I- or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The I select Bowie. This is the song they did first. Well, actually David Bowie participated in it and he said, you know, Oh, to redo the rest of the album. Right. So they did that after he died as a, you know, we finally did it, David. Right. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of remixes, um, dance crew mix. <laughs> uh, it's not even dancey. I don't get it. The drums are bigger, which, Oh shit. Sorry which I always appreciate, but like the synths are cheesier and all of the honking sax that was cut from the track have been brought back in with <laughs> flying colors for everybody to enjoy. Um, is Peter Frampton on the song? Cause there's some cheesy ass fucking shredding. No, he's not. It's yeah. funny. He's in the video, but yeah. he's not is on the it, song. That, is that true? Who's the, who's playing it the old true. lead guitar on this bad boy? I'd imagine it's Carlos. You're Allen. probably right. Uh, and then the dub version is very much like that one, except it's got more echo and less vocals as a dub version would have. And that's it for, for remixes. But I, for, for, for fans that want to laugh, um, and shake your butt for like two seconds until you realize it's not danceable. The dance crew mix is entertaining. That's all I got for you on this song. All right. Well, let's go to the next song, which is beat of your drum. Watches you go Now fashions may change Heaven knows But you still Leave a stain on Only to go Colors may fade The seasons may change Weather blows But you still of your drum this is a uh this one has a kind of a slow build um and it's a very start stop kind of song it kind of slow builds with a a story about a fashion photographer who is in the club scene and has a uh very young young uh young female interest um and then when it hits the chorus um, the synths, the drums, the guitar, it's all there. It snaps into something a little bit more upbeat and danceable into a very catchy, just straight up earworm of a chorus. Um, and then, you know, cycle and repeat for the rest of the song. 
the uh, Bowie always called this his Lolita song, "Reflection on Young Girls." <laughs> Bowie, this is problematic. I, you know, as much as we love Bowie, we have to call him out. He said, "She's only fourteen, but she's worth it. <laughs> but jail's worth it." <laughs> That's how he describes the song. Oh, he was he was he was being cheeky. Yes. He was being cheeky. He was absolutely being cheeky. That being said, he had a tendency for uh, younger ladies during this day. I mean, not like criminally younger ladies and at that time for famous people it wasn't problematic i'm just saying just in fair you know uh bowie slate is clean enough but i don't know if it's if it's if it's uh you know hand sanitizer clean um but anyways uh this is his lolita song as he called it it's it's a good song in my opinion it's got some creepy uh some creepy lyrics, knowing that about you know the smell of her flesh and all that, but it's about. I'd like to. I'd like to blow on your horn. <laughs> yeah, I like to blow on your horn. I'd like to beat on your drum. Uh, but I think it just tiptoes around the uh, tiptoes around the uh, taboo, um, and that's the point of it. But all in all, it's a pretty catchy damn song. The production isn't great, but it's not. It's one of the least offensive, in my opinion, to the ears. So. Well, yeah, the song sounds to me like um, kind of a leftover from the Labyrinth stuff that was going on the year before. Did Labyrinth? Yeah, Labyrinth came out in 86, yep, I believe. Yep. One year removed. And, yeah, some of those songs in Labyrinth where it's, uh, especially the the song at the end of Labyrinth where he's not, uh, that one where he's walking up and down the steps and he's kind of singing yeah, to Sarah. Yeah. The opening of this song with the the clangs and the the, chi- the chimey synths. I always think of chimey synths when I think of the, labyrinth. The chimey synths and the doot, da doot, the beats, and and the way he's even singing the da 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 You know, he's kind of right. got that low seduction. He's got the Jareth, the Jareth, yeah, yeah. I, I I really dig that. And then it kicks into the chorus is extremely catchy. Like you said, it's one of the few songs he actually has swagger on. That's the problem is like Bowie always has swagger and it's almost non-existent on this album. Yeah. On this record. Yeah. Yeah, No, it definitely does. The the chorus has some swag. Yeah. It's extremely cheesy, um, but I like it. Uh, I think the actual, the first half of this album is pretty strong. And this is another one where I think that it's going in a decent direction still. Yeah. Um, nothing to write home about, but uh, I'm all right with no, it. No, I would agree. By this, by this point, there's nothing that's like, like if you're listening just to this point, you're like, wow, what do people hate about this? I mean, I'm, I'm okay with this album so far. Yeah. Yeah. The 2018 version is, it doesn't do much of a difference, make much of a difference. I, I actually, for the, for one time would disagree. This one, instead of the synths going on, it's strings. It's like violins going, like doing this whole like crazy, like the strings just build and build and build the whole time. The string work for me, I don't know why it does it for me, but it adds something to me for the song. No, that's true. If what you're looking for is something more organic, that's what you're going to get from that version. I just think it, it adds a little bit of heart and dynamics to the music that we're missing the first time around. Um, I like them both actually just fine, but. Uh, I do like the 2018 version slightly better. It reminds me like the, uh, the string work could be some like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm thinking. Like Warren Ellis uh, in the pit 
on 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 a breakdown at the very just listen to his the string work at the very beginning of the song that replaces the synth work and the original it's kind of rad so i agree with both of Mark. you to a certain extent um i think this uh the original version starts off very strong um and in my notes i even said that it yeah, the the labyrinth style of production was definitely prominent in both uh, the musicality and the vocal delivery. Now, this is where our roads uh, diverge a little bit because I think what makes this song uh, not great is those choruses. I think the chorus is awful. Um, it makes the song extremely frustrating because the production on the verses are pretty great, and then it just jarringly goes into the choruses, which... Right. Um, it seems like two songs smashed together, um, yeah. uh, and, and not the greatest <laughs> way. Uh, but the tw- 2018 version, I think that they did a great job of re- reworking those intros with more strings and live drums. It sounds more organic and more to the time, um, strips away that labyrinth synth work. And I feel the transitions between the verses and the choruses aren't as jarring and there's, uh, there's like subtle differences in the arrangement that makes it flow a little better for me. Um, I don't right. love this song, but I don't skip this song. Um, I think right. it's just fine. I think in general, back to our nine inch nails season, like if it's a start stop song with, with Mark, it's the quickest way to his middle finger. Well, I mean, it's, I just need some sort of good transition that bring. No, I transition back. is key. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I do agree with you. Sometimes the, the jerkiness, uh, if it if it matches the theme of the song, I'm a, I I I I like it, but this this could have used a little a little uh, massaging in between verse and chorus. I do agree with that. I mean, is that a signature change? Is and doesn't it, it doesn't it seem like it t- changes time? It almost yeah. It almost well. I feel like it changes time, and it may even change key. Okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty abrupt. I will give you that. I do think it's I do think the chorus is catchy. And, and the lyrics are borderline creepy, which does, which is kind of frustrating, but the chorus is well executed. It's just that transition between the two that, uh, I do get your point on that. I think that's fair. Yeah. All right. Um, so let's go into the next track, which is never let me down. Yeah. There are no remixes for that, except for the 2018 one, which we talked about. So let's, uh, let's listen to the title track. When I needed survival, I called her name. When I was falling to pieces, I screamed in pain. So this is the title track. Um, 
And the sound wise, it's matching the production of the rest of the album. It's got reverby Dynacorg drums. It's got a reverby guitar. It's got some like stuttery bass. Um, it's got some synth chords in the background. Um, but the one little human quality to the music is the album version has a kind of a cool harmonica um, riff at the beginning that would give way to like saxophones and guitar solos later on. Um, the song goes places. That being said, the production on the album version is pretty flat. Um, the song itself is about Bowie's longtime personal assistant, Coco Schwab, who actually... I love that yeah, name. That's a great she name. She sings on the album at some point. Um, and you can tell in the lyrics, like, uh, when I believed in nothing, I called her name. Trapped in a high dollar joint in some place, I called her name. And my days are slipping by and the nights are so cruel I thought I'd die. She danced her little dance till it made me cry. So clearly, like, she's been there for the hard times, the good times, the times he didn't feel like socializing. Um, and reading, like, the biography, like, she helped raise Duncan Jones, like, her son. So, and he, actually, Duncan Jones is on this album somewhere as well um, in the background vocals, which is kind of cool. Um, so that this song is dedicated to her. Kind of cool that he dedicated the whole album to her. Um, I would say like his vocal delivery is pretty good on this song. It's, it is catchy. There is a lot of changes, which I like, but they're organic changes. I don't think there's any abrupt changes in the song. Um, I think the original version, uh, struggles from the uh, engineering and general production quality, but this was the third single to the album. And I think it's, I think it's got, I think it's got some strong points to it, but it suffers from its production. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think it's a good, I think it's a good song. I think it's a good upbeat song. Um, that harmonica really does it for me. Uh, I don't know. David Bowie and the harmonica just always equals some kind of happy place. Um, and, and he, he said that the biggest influence in this song is uh, John Lennon. It, it, it's kind of that got a. He said it's a, like the touchstone for it is jealous guy. And I can kind of yeah. see that. Not, not lyrically as much as just delivery tone. You know, it's, you know, what's funny about that is uh, there's actually a Julian Lennon song. I don't know anything about Julian Lennon, but I know that there is one song where his delivery is very similar to this song, which came out later. Mm-hmm. And when David Bowie died, Yoko Ono said that like Julian like lost a father figure in David Bowie. So like there's some weird triangular connection to John Lennon, Julian, and David Bowie with this song. Anyways, interesting. Um so I I I understand where this song appeals to people. It is catchy, it is a single, the video is just him in a performance with people at a dance is what I can vaguely remember. Um, it's very bland, very just like, you know, pop ballad crooning song. Um, it's just this, uh, song I feel kind of is just a canary in the coal mine for what's coming up for the most of the record, um, of it just trying to fit in into a certain style that was popular during the day. Um, Whereas Bowie was more setting the trends and his previous, you know, for the most part of his career. But I feel like the problem with this album um, and this song for me 
kind of is the avatar for how I view kind of this record. It's uh, it's not Bowie. It's Bo. It's 1987 Bowie trying to be like, I have to live up to the fame and the expectations that I've set upon myself after the monster hit of let's dance. <clears throat> and he didn't really get that with his next record. So he was really like, I just have to embrace the times because I could close my eyes and see Billy Ocean singing this song or Daryl yeah. Hall or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. As much as I do like the song, I do agree with you. And my God, that bass tone really steals the deal yeah. on that comment. That's boom, boom, boom. It's a, yeah. I would say that Bowie's vocal delivery is very earnest in the song. And I do like it. I like it all the way through every version. This fucking song has six versions. Um, and the album version is one of the weaker ones. Um, his vocal never wavers on all the versions, but um, it's very funny. The single version, instead of a harmonica, you have a wailing sax and a slightly more... Uh, higher tempo beat. So it's kind of more like danceable. Um, weirdly, there's an extended dance mix to the song that somehow I really like, but here's my problem. <laughs> here's that. I may be biased. The, they actually just did the same song, but for the drums, they use like a very like Tom heavy, almost sounding like a Berlin, like EBM style beat, which was popular this time. Like a, like a front two, four twos type beat. Like uh, that. I think to me, adds a lot of drive and dynamics to the song, which were not existing before. Um, but all the other cheesy stuff is there. The is Frampton on the song. Yeah. No, yeah. There's some, the there's some, there is some, uh, the pooping on a guitar fret that, that he's doing on this. <laughs> I guys, I'm being mean to Frampton, but he's like, uh, I, I don't know. Is he's a good guitar player, but I, I wouldn't say he's, he's terribly inventive and his guitar solos just sound so cheesy on this album. That's my opinion. What do you guys think about Frampton's contributions to this album? Mm, not yeah, much. I mean, honestly, uh, it's <laughs> you could tell that he was really trying to really have like a, a known guitar player be featured on this record. It really it just felt like that because um, I don't really feel that Peter Frampton really brought anything original. He just probably wanted like it has Peter, Peter Frampton on this record. I, I should check that out. I'm probably being cynical by saying that like he, he did it for album sales, but kind of like, you know, the featured that, you know, hip hop really kind of gets involved in these days. Sure. Well, uh, Bowie used, oh, sorry, go on. I I take, I mean, this was written by Carlos Alomar as well. So maybe it's not Frampton. Uh, I don't have the exact uh, personnel on this track in front of me, but that is part of a larger conversation we should be having is that, I don't know why he picked right. Peter Frampton. It's not exactly like Peter. Peter Frampton was well known for a goddamn live album from the seventies. But at this point, Peter Frampton was not exactly setting the world on fire. So maybe he actually saw something in him. I don't know. Well, anyways, the remixes are worth listening to because they add a little bit more dynamic to it, but it's still got so a lot of cheesy elements to the music. But I do love his vocal delivery, which I can't write the song off completely for that. It's very earnest. And he, I guess he dedicated a whole album to his personal assistant, which is kind of sweet. So did you talk about the video? A little bit when I talked, but yeah. Uh, A little bit. The video, 
Video, the video is terrible. <laughs> I think it's my favorite video off the album. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's just, you know, the, the crooning on a cruise ship with, with ballroom dancers. What, what more does it need to be? It's not really crooning. It's like, uh, you have a guy who like announces like what's almost, it almost is like a wrestling fight between two dancers, which is kind of a cool concept, but I, you know what? I'll give you that. It's the best video. Off this <laughs> it doesn't album. take much. No, I'll, I'll, <laughs> no, it does not. I will give you that. Fine. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. It, because there's, there's, there's like a one minute intro with a guy talking so unengagingly into a, into a crooner's microphone. Like, I don't even know what he's saying. I like last interest, but it's it, that it turns into a wrestling match between two dancers, which is fun. Uh, it's all in sepia tone, which I appreciate as a, as an artiste, but all right. So, uh, that's, uh, that was never let me down. Um, so we'll go to track five, which is zeros. Um, This is my favorite song off the album. Oh, I could see that. I, I, uh, I like both versions, but the, uh, the 2018 version is one I listen to on repeat quite a bit when doing my homework for this album. Um, I would agree that that version is probably one of the examples of the best, best time that the, uh, the remake rem- like improved the original. Well, like I said, sure. it heathenized it that, that opening with the yeah yeah and then the just the acoustic guitar strumming is always welcome and um i just i i like the it, it's kind of a a reflective it's a song that kind of has a vibe of like uh thank you for being here kind of thing to all the people that appreciate this kind of stuff and also we're going to put a show on for you song which i always like a we're going to put a show on for you song right i like the connection to heroes um, and the album version starts with some live, like banter with him talking to the crowd with some synths going crazy. And then his band at the time kind of playing the most rock song on the album. Well, debatably the most rock song so, on the yeah. album. Um, the song was meant to be a throwback to sixties music. He tried to cram as many nostalgic references as he could into the song. Um, and uh, basically talking about bright young heroes are dead, their memories, curse the survivors where, you know, 
this actually is a companion piece to Glass Spider. I'll talk about why later. But this is like, this song is prime 87 nostalgia. Like, if you look at the movies of the 80s and the pop culture, they, it was all about rehashing the 60s. Uh, you know, you're talking about the, uh, the, uh, what, <laughs> the uh, Big Chill and, and stuff like that. Like, it was all about doing that. And for that reason, I mean, this song isn't crazy crazy like like it's pretty um inspired by that which makes it kind of less of a uh, creative piece and more of a re- reaction to the era um but uh it's a, it, it's supposed to be all about that throwing it back little red corvette um talking about i like we talk you are my moon you are my sun and then duncan jones is actually singing on the song so that's like he made a movie called Moon, and he's David Bowie's son. I don't know. It's kind of a cool trifecta if you look at the lyrics, but I don't That's know. That's fun. I kind of like I, I like those songs about being thankful or being grateful to the ones you care about, so I like that. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of heart in this song. It is very, like, of the time, though. Like, the 60s was back in a big way. But, um, yeah, the uh, I would say the 2018 remake, remake took that and was like, well, great, but why are you using all those really terrible, like, 80s pads? Like, let's just make a rock song. And, and I think they pull it off in the, in the remake, so, with real instruments and such. So, Mark, what do you think about Zeros? Um, it kind of reminds me of Latter-day Cure, meaning that it's, it's a band that I really enjoyed and there's some semblance of that band still existing. Uh, but the sound here is now starting to really like take me out of uh, the record. Um, it's just, it's a, I think the song doesn't really go anywhere. Um, and for a near six minute song, that can be kind of a lot to ask. Uh, I feel that we're always just kind of waiting for it to either shift into uh, uh kind of the B section. Um, even there, there is a B section, but it just sounds too reminiscent of the A section. Uh, then towards the outro, you've got a kind of a middle Eastern flair, uh, with the tablas and a sitar sound in the outro. That's Peter Frampton on the sitar. Yep. Yeah. The, um, sit- the sitar. That's the one. This is funny. I, the a guy says my favorite song. Yeah. I'm going to repeat. I think it goes plenty of places, but that that's fine. Maybe I just like the places that it just gets stuck in. Like it, it shifts to a certain gear and it sticks there. But um, that sitar is the one part of the song where I'm like, oh man, why the sitar? Yeah. The sitar is the reference to George Harrison. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, with Never Let Me Down having a, uh, a little bit of a John Lennon flair to it and then Zero's being a little nod to George Harrison, um, I just don't feel like David Bowie is very comfortable. I think he's still struggling to like, uh, what is my post popular phase look like? Uh, could it be this? Could it be this? And, you know, with a little nod to little red Corvette, you know, Prince was at the height of his powers during this era. I mean, was he just trying to like, I'm still an icon guys. I may be 40 years old, but you know, I, I still got it. You said, and, I think- Go ahead, Mark. Oh, no. And I just I think this song is just trying a little too damn hard. Um, even on the updated version, it updates the sound to make it sound more of today. Um, but I still think this the song is really trying to. Um, I don't know. It, I don't know who it really appeals to. 
in a broader sense. And I'm glad to hear that I'm in the minority actually, whenever I have an artist that I'm, I, I, I love like David Bowie and I, I can't just, you know, let some of these songs go by without a pass, but it is one of those things that, uh, you know, it's, this isn't my cup of tea, but you know, I'm glad that people are drinking it, you know, Mark, Mark, I'm with you actually. Like I like the, uh, the 2018 kind of update, but thematically, I mean, I am not, I, I, I think baby boomers and nostalgia is a real problem <laughs> and it tainted pop culture in the eighties. But I think thematically this album's all over the place. There was a lot of politics, which I appreciate, but thematically like the meta part about Bowie is two songs and it's this song and it's the next song. And I think that's kind of interesting, uh, which we'll get to as far as like, him waxing nostalgic about the sixties. And the next song is about letting go of your nostalgia. And, uh, anyways, I think that's kind of a fun dichotomy. That being said, I'm with you about this song, not really going anywhere. Um, musically the 2018 one makes the case better, but thematically, uh, baby boomer nostalgia is a real problem. And, uh, you know, get out of my house. Well, I do, do got to say, um, I think the little red Corvette uh, passed me by clearly talking about Prince. I think that's more of a tip of the hat though, to a guy that's doing kind of what he used to do, maybe better than him at the time. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Now, playing a character, having charisma, having a persona, multi-instrumentalist, yeah, you know, yeah. but let's yeah. not forget David Bowie can play every damn instrument in the, you know, the, the one right next to it. So yeah. he played sax on this. He played yeah. synth on this. He played guitar on uh, this album. Yeah. I, I love, by, by the way, I think we might have talked about this before on the nine Nails podcast, but man, I, I need to listen to more Prince cause I consider myself a Prince fan, but I do not listen to enough to it where I can speak intelligently about half of it. My God, the guy had so many good songs. Just, uh, Oh, he did. Yeah. But also yeah. I think the Beatles uh, stuff on here, very intentional. And Carlos Alomar had something to do with it because, uh, David Bowie was quoted as saying like, I love Carlos, his knowledge of every, you know, it all with him, it starts and ends with the Beatles. And you're really seeing that on this record. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go. In. I feel like, uh, didn't, <laughs> sorry. What? I feel like some of the, the Beatles, uh, solo projects in the eighties probably left a similar aftertaste as this album. Yeah. And <laughs> thank you. All right, here we go. Uh, next track, we got glass spider. The baby spiders would get scared and search frantically for their mother. But the glass spider would have long gone, having known that the babies would survive somehow on their own. Oh, the glass spider had blue eyes almost like a human's. They shed tears at the winter turn of the centuries.
Spider, which I consider not my favorite song on the album, but the highlight of the record for me, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. It's it's not it's it, it's it's more of a it's a cool idea more than it's a song, wouldn't you say? Yes. Um, so for me, like the spoken word intro, uh, it it's extremely geared to be a you know part of that theatrical aspect that he was really going for. Um, oh yeah, hundred percent. This song was supposed to be part of the Glass Spider tour. This oh, yeah. was the center. Yeah. It, it is this part of the, the, the opening. Yeah. This is the opening the opening performance. Yeah. yeah. But this is definitely like the synths. This is Blade Runner synths. And this is uh, yeah. right out of uh diamond dogs. Yeah. I mean, even like uh part of this song makes me think of, it could be one of those little sketches from outside. If it was released in the eighties. Um, and Peter Frampton is definitely letting it loose while the drum machine really starts to pick up. Um, the water's all gone. Part is extremely catchy. And then it pauses and then it rips back into Frampton laying some licks. Uh, I think it's a pretty <laughs> fantastic part of the song. Um, and it does kind of remind yeah. me of it could be in Blade Runner for crying out loud. Yeah. I give Frampton a lot of shit for this album because I think, I think his work is generally pretty cheesy on this album, but I think this song works. I think this song stands out. I think for some weird reason, as much as i complained about the production value. I think the uh, looping bass synth and I think the spoken word nonsense and the, uh, the Frampton solos, I think it is a true theatrical performance. It is a reference. This is like I said, this is a part two of a nostalgic journey that we got from the last song, but this song was inspired by Bowie watched like a documentary about black widows and how like they build this like multi-layered web and they string the skeletons of their prey all over the web. And the song itself is about like, you hear the baby spiders crying and their mother's gone. It's a cold mother. And it's like, the song is really meta. It's about passing pop culture on like fans of a Ziggy era may not be into him anymore. Um, but he set them up for the new era of music and now like they've gotten into it, but they want him back and you know, he's nowhere to be found. It's a very like meta kind of approach to things. I don't know. This song is so conceptual. I can't help but fucking love it. Um, it's got problems. It's a little cheesy. Uh, but honestly, like uh, I think it's a lot of fun. And I think it's one of the few ones that builds on its sound and actually has some dynamics. Yeah. So I got thumbs up for oh, this. Yeah, song. this song this song has rising action like a motherfucker. Yeah. Um yeah. the gone's gone, the water's all gone as the drums keep pounding and doom 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 do 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 in the backup vocals and just his his part where he does the can you hear like there's a, a soaring vocal that I I love. And um yeah, just that mixed with the storytelling aspect is is wonderful. I, I I would have loved a whole album of that. Maybe it would have been uh, overwhelming, but it sure works for one track for me. Right. I mean, it would have been like what the eighties version of Ziggy Stardust was. The rest of this album is not that, but if he kept with that theme, yeah, you would have, I that. think it's, I think it's um, more the eighties version of a, like a diamond dogs. I, I, I'm yeah, sorry just to be fair. just, but diamond dogs, I really listened to again re- recently. And I love that record. And it's just got that weird sci-fi dystopian feel to it. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, it's funny you say that because um, uh, the uh, Pushing Ahead the Dame uh, website that I often reference, they said like, people forget that there's all these Bowie personas, but one Bowie persona is the embarrassing <laughs> Bowie, <laughs> the frustrating Bowie, and the Bowie that he created on Diamond Dogs, and that is all over this track. So that is a fair connection. By the way, that guy, that gentleman's name who runs that website is uh, Michael O'Leary. And uh, he put yeah. out a David Bowie book worth hunting down that we will uh, probably reference once or twice. So, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'd Michael actually, O'Leary. so this is one where I think the remake is not nearly as good. Interesting. It, I actually, I would agree with you. I, I would, I would agree with you. Give me, yeah. yeah it, I find it, it doesn't have the dr- same drive to it. It just kind of plods along the mark. You don't feel that way. I don't. I actually think it's got a little groovy downbeat. It gives it way more atmos- atmosphere and really ups the eerie factor. Um, I the one thing that I uh, do miss on that version is the the really excellent shredding guitar work. But I actually think that uh, it is a little more. I don't know. In line, if like you're a fan of Nine Inch Nails and you've never heard David Bowie, um, I would I would check that one out to potentially see. Um, I don't know. I actually I. I like the yeah. groovy atmospheric stuff though. Mark, it was a, it was a uh, neck and neck race for me as far as which one I like better, because I think the baseline in the 2018 version is a, is basically like burn or like the, a really good nine inch nails synth bass. Like I think it, I think it works really well. I just think that the, that the cheesy eighties synth loops, I think it works and the Frampton guitar, I think it works for what he's trying to do here. So I think just like something about the meta and the, the era kind of makes that more the version for me, but you're absolutely right. The, the remake is really worth checking out. Yeah. All right. So let's go into track seven, which is shining star parentheses, making my love. Parentheses, woof. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Eric, you started it off. All right. So, Shining Star. Uh, it is a upbeat little single that never got its own single, but got wedged into other singles as kind of like a extra possible radio hit. It's upbeat. Uh, it is a, I mean, it's a love song. Um, it's about falling in love during catastrophes. Uh, you know, that scene in speed where, uh, uh, Sandra Bullock says, you know, relation romance or relationships based out of uh, traumatic events never work out. Mark, you know what I'm I talking, know what you're about. talking about. It's also <laughs> apparently really late. <laughs> All right. 
<laughs> so I'll do anyway, okay, Anyways, go that's 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 the song that's that that's what the song is about. Uh the music is atrocious. It is the most jump one of the most jumbled songs in this album. Uh it it devol- devolves into a rap by Mickey Rourke, which somehow is the laziest rap I've ever heard, and still one of the highlights of the song. How is that possible? Yeah. I just basically <laughs> wrote in my notes, this song is bad. Mickey Rourke seems bored on his rap breakdown part. The guitar and production is so slick and overproduced that it sounds like Muzak. I see this song as a montage song during a hardworking mom's trying to get her career on track in the big city. Um, I, I don't like this song. I think Mickey Rourke's part is just comically bad. Uh, the 2018 version just tries to update the production with a better f- use of that funk guitar. Um, it has a little better transitions to the chorus, but it's just a bad song. It's bad songwriting and just, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. What's baffling to me is he, he deleted too dizzy from this album, which deserves it. Too Dizzy is terrible. Yeah. We can talk about yeah. that later. But this is almost as terrible. Like, I don't, like, did he roll a dice to decide which one was more deletable? Like, I, they're both atrocious yeah. tracks. Steven, what do you got? Yeah, yeah I, um, I, th- this, this is where the album becomes, the, the reputation the album has starts with this song and kind of goes to the end of the album for me. Um, that's 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 fair because like it's been defendable up until now it's it's a pleasant listening experience for the most part and up until now and then this just is just very plastic sounding and um i like mickey rourke as much as the next guy i'm an iron man 2 defender but uh this song is just it is not good it's every cliche you think of when you think of this record you get on this song yeah yeah, absolutely. It's it's just bad news. Yeah, um, that, that two thousand that two thousand eighteen version's not saving it. That's not no, yeah. The the, no. the answers aren't there. So yeah, can't polish a turd. Um, so let's go into track eight. Uh, track eight, we got New York's in love. song could be another song that could be a montage of city life uh i could <laughs> just see like uh you know scenes and sounds of new york you got construction crews singing the chorus you got streetwalkers singing the chorus you got police officers and firefighters and mayor giuliani's there for some reason 
Um, I think the chorus is catchy, but it isn't something that is memorable. And the goo 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 part is not that it's not great. Um, the updated arrangement um, definitely has more of a focus. And this is the 2018 version on live drums. And uh, the drum beat actually kind of reminds me of the same drum beat from uh, One Million by Nine Inch Nails from The Slip. Um, dun, dun, God. And uh, it improves the chorus a little bit. Um, it's still not one that I would save. I would definitely... It, it's better than Shining Star, but it's not that much better for me. Yeah, this is the song that I think of when I think of everything happening on top of itself at once. Uh, it's, it is just obnoxious. There are no dynamics to the sound. And um, yeah, the song is basically about... Sounds like a love song about a girl but the girl's attributes are the same as a cynical person's about New York looks really pretty, but is damaged on the inside is shallow is vain. That's what it's about. And it's an allegory for New York. Uh, and apparently, I mean, I'm sure where Bowie lived, he saw a lot of that, but I feel like there's a lot more to New York than that. So it's a very short sighted song in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tro- it's atrocious. It, it's very hard to listen it to. It is. It's got these like poppy synthesizers that they're the, some of the weaker synths on this album. And it, it's good to remember that, that David Bowie was an adopted son of New York and he loved New York before it was a cl- cliche to love New York. You know, there are those times where this country always talks about like New York is the heart of America, you know, and uh I think when you David Bowie, somebody that it, I, I don't know if he necessarily would have said that out loud, but he definitely believed it. He lived there for the majority of his life. And I feel like if that is the case, he kind of, uh, you know, you ever, you ever go for, uh, a holiday and you buy your wife a gift for Valentine's day or something. And it, you didn't really think it through. You just bought her something to buy or something, you know, that. Oh yeah. That's what he did with this song. He was just like, I'm going to write a New York song about the city I love. And it's just, just lame, cliched and lame. I, I think it's, I think it's more sarcastic. I think he was actually trying to make fun of New York. Uh, I think he was trying to do that. I just think like, I think it was short sighted. I think, I think the things that he was making, I think the things he was being cynical about New York were uh, not, I don't think he was getting out enough. <laughs> I think there's more to New York. I think there's a lot of culture and diversity he wasn't experiencing. So it's, I don't think it's the full picture. So that's my opinion. Well, you know, maybe, maybe he felt like I did when somebody texted him a photo of uh, his favorite old bar, the hemlock that got demolished this week and uh, is literally a heaping pile of rubble in San Francisco. That is because the hemlock is great. All right, let's go on to the next track. Uh, We got 87 and Cry. In the dribble 
So 87 and cry. Um, I've listened to this five times in our prep song. Definitely feels like homework. And I would keep forgetting the melody the instant it was over. Um, it is one of those forgettable songs. It's apparently about Margaret Thatcher. And when Eric comes back, uh, he will absolutely probably tell us the geopolitical situation of the UK election and what Margaret Thatcher was doing on that side of the pond. Um, uh, I could probably just give you the cliff notes of David Bowie was probably not a fan of old thatch. Um, but, uh, you know, that was the popular thing to do. Um, so that's, uh, that's my impression of 87 and cry. I forget about it every single time I hear it. And, uh, the 2018 version, um, makes it a little more, slick of that sound that uh, was featured on the reality album the chorus gets a little bigger but uh yeah i don't know it's a completely forgettable song for me as i'm talking i'm like where the fuck what song was this yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'll give it the chorus i i I, 87 and cry i like that delivery that's all i like about this song i can't tell you anything else about this song I listened to this album all the way through and this song probably at least five to 10 times. And I cannot tell you anything about this song besides the, uh, 87 and cry chorus. Yeah. Eric, yeah. you got to pick us, pick us back up. Tell us something about the song. We're not seeing. Yeah. I, I like the lyrics. Uh, it's not a great song. It's very forgettable, but, um, it was kind of rocking and I do see the reality. Down, connection. down, 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 down. down. Yeah. Yeah, oh, there's a Sorry, that sounds like Stone Temple I think it's Pilots almost. Doing. It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but I do think it is some of the best guitar work on the album and improved in the 2018 re-recording. Uh, this song is about Margaret Thatcher's policies. Um, she was extremely conservative. Um, it was perfect for the Reagan era. They were very similar. There are some lyrics that I think we're seeing now again in the Trump era. You can't make love with money. You can't make mistakes with babies. Nothing looked good on you. That's how I like you best. Now you're ready for the real McCoy. I don't know. It's just like this whole like front of this whole superficial front of a politician where, um, you're not dealing with real issues. It's just like how you appear financially, how you feel superficially. That's what the song's about. I really do appreciate that. Um, I, I think we don't, you know, at the time I didn't know, but upon later research, like the Margaret Thatcher era was as bad for the soul of, of you, the UK as Reagan was for the soul of America. So I think for somebody who was so disconnected from the UK as Bowie, like he was an American when he made this album, I think it was, I think I appreciate that he gave a little like fuck you to Margaret Thatcher. The song itself is forgettable, but I like the spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, um, that's why I count on you, Eric, bring us back into, uh, 
into some sort of good conversation. <laughs> Me, Steven are just like cavemen at this point, just like bad song next. Uh, so, okay. Right. Let's go to that final track. Um, well, it would be too dizzy, but that got deleted. Yeah. <laughs> so Eric, why don't you tell Eric, why don't you tell us about too dizzy? Cause I know you listened to it more than we did. Oh my God. That really was the worst song. I mean, I think you could flip a coin between that and Shining Star as what should be deleted. But Too Dizzy is so fucking annoying. Um, it was one of the songs co-written by the producer of the album. What's his Turtle, name? Turtle uh, yeah. Kills a K or something yeah. like that. Right. And I think it was just originally on there to give him the credit so he could get some money for making this album. That's very <laughs> cynical. You really think that's why? I, it's been speculated. Okay. Like David Bowie was like, Hey, I'll, I'll co-write you on the song, but it's coming off. This is garbage. <laughs> and you'll, you'll, you'll get money. I mean, it is, it's, it's Bowie hated the song. Um, it's supposed to be like 50 subject matter about jealousy, about the, how dizzy you get in love, but the whole song is just frustrating. It's musically. I get a little bit of a fifties, almost doo-wop kind of thing to it, but it's, so layered by 80s instrumentation, everything's all over itself. There's no dynamics. It's just the problem with the rest of the album. Uh, this one's somehow more obnoxious. Um, anyways. Yeah, I read somewhere that David Bowie said like Huey Lewis could have done this song, but I would argue Huey Lewis has done a handful of better songs than that. Uh, so I don't even think yeah, Huey not, Lewis would yeah. not. Yeah. We will not slander Huey Lewis or the news in this podcast. Absolutely Keep it going. Not. We yeah. will not. We will not. It, it would be tailor made for Huey Lewis. And then he'd be like, uh, you know, I did this is it, right? That's a 50s song that's actually good. Exactly. And then this would have gone down the toilet and that would have been that. Exactly. So that brings us to the final track. Bang, bang. Bang, bang. Oh, God. I think I, I was able to make this song twice. Yeah, I got mine again. Again, this is where the the reputation of this album. It's almost as if a few albatrosses brought this album down to the reputation it deserves. Um, because the bad songs in this album are just so bad. Yeah. So this is the Iggy Pop cover from uh, he had an album uh, titled Party. I think it was in the early 80s, 83, 82, somewhere around that era. Um, was it called Party or was it called Blah, Blah, Blah? I've seen it listed as both. Um, I found it on Apple Music under Party. No, the album. OK, I think I think you're right. I think you're right about it. Keep, keep talking. I'll look into this. So, um you know, this song has decent production in the sense that it's not just piled on all over the place. 
Um, and it does have a somewhat catchy I Got Mine vocal delivery. Um, but I did go back and listen to the Iggy Pop original, and um, I like them about equally. I think they're both equally silly songs. Um, I mean, I I respect and like Iggy Pop. I think as more of like, I just like him being there, but I've never immersed myself into the Stooges or his solo work. Um, well, that's why we're doing this podcast, because I tell you what, when we get to some of that 1970s stuff, we're going to talk about it. Oh, trust me. Like, I've oh, yeah. listened to The Idiot, and uh, that's yeah. a fantastic record. Um, and, you know, I was a big fan of Lust for Life, that the song. Um, and I think the string section in the uh, 2018 version, uh, the intro st- kind of strips away the 80s production. and It just paces it better um, with the lead string arrangement, but I still... It's a bad song, but if I was to say it's not as bad as if I had my druthers, Bang Bang is better than Shining Star, New York's in Love, and 87 and Cry, because at least I can somewhat remember this song when I talk about it. But um, it doesn't mean it's a great song or even a good song. It's a serviceable song for a mediocre record. Yeah, it, 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 a fitting whimper of a closer to this record, if you ask me. Um I think the original is better. I'm by no means a huge Iggy pop fan, but like you said, I like I like his place in rock lore and uh, he has, he has some, uh, he stepped up to the plate and hit some home runs when people needed to do that. So we'll, uh, we'll cover some of his records that are deserving of being well, covered later. Um, Steve, do you recognize the Springsteen riff in the song? No, I should. Apparently at some point there's a horn and guitar riff. That is essentially ripped from glory days. Oh, now I, I, at some no, point all you have to do is say that and I can hear it. Um, when the hand claps come yeah. in. Yeah. Well, Anyways. when we do the, when uh, we do our Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen podcast, uh, <laughs> you guys, you think these out, you think these episodes are long. Um, yeah. No, but caught uh, like a Jersey. Uh, the, 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 yeah. the episode, uh, he has a new album coming out soon, by the way, but uh, two, yeah, the box has two and yeah, he's got two. He's got a solo and then he's got a, he's got a band project. Yeah, and street and a solo. Anyhow, uh, instead of talking about the greatest rock man of ever, all time, we'll finish talking about David Bowie, but uh, <laughs> no, the Iggy pop. Uh, yeah. Eric, it was off the album party, but blah, blah, blah yeah. is the one that uh, David Bowie produced around the same time. So, okay. What are your okay. thoughts on the song? Well, yeah. So around the same time, this song was, co-written by Bowie. Uh, and Iggy Popper was recording this. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it was a hot mess. Um, if you hear the original version, it's, the mu- it's musically interesting, but it is literally like sound bites of Iggy Pop. Like they cut, they recorded him, cut and pasted it into the song and they got back up to go bang, bang in the background. Um, it is a cut and paste job. It's basically how they make posthumous ODB albums. Uh, it, it was actually because when they were recording it, um, he and the eventual uh, producer were uh, basically like locked uh, the engineer in this in like a closet and stole his money to buy drugs. And then eventually, that producer came back and like took sound clips here and there and like put them out over the song. Like these are like cut and paste jobs. These are not real songs. So David Bowie, like in his opinion, thought this could be a good song. 
and made it one. So in my opinion, it improves on it because it's, it's not just like little clips and snippets, which is what Iggy Pop's Bang Bang actually is. Yeah. Um, that being said, it's not great until, until, and Steve, I hope you appreciate this because I very rarely will reference a live version, but there is, if you listen to that Loving the Alien box set, there is the promotion, live promotional mix of Bang Bang, which is a goddamn heater. It's very good. Well, it's it barely even starts, and the girls already go bang bang, and then it just cuts into a into a real jam. It's a it's a good song. Yeah, that loving the alien box set has some interesting, not better, but interesting uh, uh, arrangements of some classics. Oh, highly recommend it. It's like the it's like the Dylan, but like the bootleg series that would come out with it was like, hey, nobody listened to his, you know, well. We, <laughs> What the fuck were those albums like back alley bra or the one he did with like a, with the fucking uh, ska band or what? nobody listened to that shit from the late eighties, early nineties, but like they made these bootleg series with like, well, actually there were three good songs from those 10 years and here they are. Um, no, I, I like loving the, uh, loving the David Bowie has been repackaged nine times till Tuesday, but I, I, these boxes they've been putting out that kind of are named after a phrase or a song from that era are pretty awesome. Um, Right. Loving the aliens, the one for the, uh, the, the, the mid to late eighties work. And I will say the 2018 remake of bang bang does the same thing that it did with, uh, the beat, the beat, uh, beat of the drum, which is the, uh, which is the string work. I think the string work in the bang bang remake is fantastic. It makes it even more engaging. So Eric, All right. uh, we'll do our our yeah. bolts later. I would agree with um, that. Yeah. This has somehow been the longest episode we've done over. Uh, I mean, I guess shit. When you got something this uh, interesting to talk about, you have a lot of words to say. But let's take us home. <laughs> let's go through the various and sundry stuff that we got left. Can you start? Right. So let's just uh, jump off from one pop to another pop. What about that uh, blah 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 album? Oh, I thought I just talked about that. Oh, that was the party album. Oh, I don't have anything. <laughs> you didn't listen to the fucking album that he produced, blah, 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 with the goddamn uh, I'm a Wild One song on it? I I just wanted to talk about Iggy Pop's Bang Bang. I didn't do any more than no, that. No, but Bang Bang. I thought I, just talked, I thought I just talked about how the fact that like they were locking the fucking engineer in closets and stealing his money for drugs so they could... And then later they went back and recorded whatever nonsense was on the tape. I see, I, I think you spliced it into the song. You might be mixing things up. That might be true. But David yeah. Bowie also helped write and produce a Iggy Pop album from this era called Blah Blah Blah, which is not what uh the, the this the 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 Bang Bang song is off of. So okay. you didn't listen to that record. No, I thought you oh, did. No. Well, I did. I was talking about the song Bang Bang. I don't, yeah. Okay. Well, you see, I'm glad we, uh, we didn't compare notes, but, uh, you know, we, we ended up, uh, <clears throat> at least getting to a place where we can talk about this record. So neither of you listened to the Iggy pop album, blah, blah, blah. Mm, did not. Okay. Nope. So our, this is the last time that our, our hero and, uh, and Iggy pop worked together. They worked together in quite a few, uh, projects before this in the seventies, some all timers. And then uh, that Bang Bang song, 
And then David Bowie produced and helped write the album, blah, 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 which was a, like one of Iggy Pop's most commercial records. And if you look at the album cover, it is the most 80s album cover. It just says blah, blah, blah in the background. And then Iggy Pop has a shirt on for some reason. He's also wearing like a stepmom jeans. Um, but the reason I bring it up is because we know that, you know, Iggy Pop could have been, a, he, he had some classics, but he also, you know, he did a, a song that I love. that's totally cheesy. The candy with the chick from the B-52s. Uh, in between there, there's a big gulf of shit that Iggy Pop has done. And there's a song off this record, which I was telling Mark earlier. I never knew this was an Iggy Pop song, but we've heard this song a billion times. Do you guys know the song Real Wild Child? I'm a real wild child. That one? Ig- yes, that's Iggy Pop. That's ridiculous. I, I didn't know that. Did you know that was Iggy Pop? No, I didn't. And it's, it's, yeah. it's in the movie. It's in the movie Problem Child. It's in uh, it's in it's in so many like I'm a wild one. Funny looking kid. Yeah. <laughs> You guys, that, that song is off this album. So, uh, there you go. You learn something new every day. Another song on this album, uh, a song that was a failed single, which I actually really like is called cry for love. We'll drop a single, a little clip here. That's a decent track. I, I thought Eric listened to the whole thing was going to talk about it. I skimmed it today. It's, uh, it's, it's mid eighties, Iggy pop. Don't, don't seek it out. But, uh, there you go. Blah, blah, blah. There it is. All so right. Eric, what else? You got any, got anything else we got to talk about? There's a, there's, there's a, weird yeah, ass, there's, so, a, there's a weird, there's a weird ass big band song and dance number song I want to talk about, but we'll, but I'll let you steal the, steer the ship. Well, so there was a couple B sides. Well, actually only two that we need to talk about. One was song was called girls. Girls was on the Japanese release where he actually sang it in Japanese. So there's another Rosetta Bowie talk about, but the song itself is pretty catchy. It's, I would say on a whole, it's better production than the rest of, than a lot of Never Let Me Down. It's a good little song. So check it out. I mean, it's just talking about girls that he respects and likes and there's not much else to it, but it's got a catchy 80s sheen to it. I, it's fine. Did you guys listen to that song? I have it in my library. I listened to it like once in preparation. I don't remember. I didn't make any notes on it, um, but I do have that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's ultimately forgettable, but in this era it was, I, I could have replaced five songs off this album and it would have been a good, a good, a good choice. Um, yeah, he also did right. a song called yeah, I think fine. yeah, I think that Julie is a better track. Julie is a better track. Julie is a little more guitar driven, a little more organic. Um, uh, any other thoughts on that one? No, I think it's better than most of the songs on the album, which is it's just it's just kind of it, it's basic. I actually like there's a a genre of songs I do like is songs just named after women. Uh, Angie, Gloria, Julie. It's, it's, it's all right, track. Oh, sorry. I hate to go back to Girls right here. Girls was co-written by Tina Turner. And it should be mentioned that uh, when we get to tonight, we'll probably talk a little bit more about Tina Turner because Bowie basically got her assigned to EMI and basically said, like, she's ready for a revival. This is the time. 
And he was a big time part of her revival during that era. And so she helped write the song girls. So anyways, throwing it back. Good old Tina Turner. Um, they made a Pepsi commercial together. Yeah, no, they were buddies. Uh, Julie's an all right song. And, uh, by the way, I'll take this time to, uh, let my coworker know who probably isn't listening to this at this point that, uh, Julie, you're a, you're a great coworker. There it is. I, I told her that there's a song called Julie in tonight's episode. What a shout out. There uh, you go. Julie's great. Julie's yeah, great. Yeah, you know Julie. All right. Um, uh, so he did two soundtrack songs during this era. He was in a movie called Absolute Beginners, which is a musical, a, a British uh, musical. And he plays like a, he, he basically plays like, <laughs> it could be a black star character. Honestly, it was like, he's like a, he's like the devil, but he's also like the head of like marketing. Like that's his role. And so his song, That's Motivation, is kind of a really cool, it's almost like a capital G type song where it's like he's the villain and convincing the character to sell his soul for business. If you look up the video on YouTube, you can see why it's a cool song. I've seen the movie Absolute Beginners. It's not a very good movie. Um, uh, But that scene and his character does steal the show. So... You it's know. also, it's a, it's a pretty fun. High five I think it's a fun. Song. Yeah, it's fun. It's got, it's fun. I, I was listening to it today. It makes me laugh out loud. It's got just some, uh, big choruses with a ton of classical big band type singers. It's, uh, you know, that's motivation. It's that's entertainment. It's, uh, right. It's, it's, it's yeah. big, it's, it's bold it's in your face. He was in another movie that was not, had no, no Bowie music. It had Peter Gabriel music and it was called last temptation of Christ, which is a fantastic Scorsese movie. Oh yeah. That one. I was thought, a hey, God damn it. I thought I did the math on this and we were going to relegate these to 88. Cause that's when they actually came out. Those movies. Okay. Well, you can edit this out. We can do that later. It's fine. I think we should. All right. All right, I'm <laughs> I'm down for that. All right, uh, finally, there was a movie called When the Wind Blows, and uh, this was a, a British film. It was a disaster movie about Cold War fallout, and uh, it is a really cool song, in my opinion. It is a, it, you can tell it's a soundtrack song. Huge strings, huge vocals, streak into the rafters, but uh, also a very danceable beat. Um, actually, this is one of, in my opinion, one of the highlights of this era of Bowie. It's, it's a good song. Yeah, I was, a, I was a pretty big fan of this discovery too. If I were to make a uh, top 100 David Bowie songs, it might creep into the bottom half, which is a compliment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, Mark, did you hear oh, this yeah. one? Oh yeah, no, I have this one too. I mean, uh, you're right. It it definitely is little more interesting than some of the other songs we talked about tonight. Um, I, it would be hard for me to put it in my, uh, my list of all time songs, but it, it definitely is better in comparison to what we've, the majority of what we've talked about tonight. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit more theatrical. It sounds like more thought was put into yeah. it. It's not, it's not tossed off. It's looking at like suburban Britain and during like the end times during annihilation, but done with a more it's, I don't know. It's done with a lot of heart. It's a, it's a good song. All right. Highly recommended. So that, 
Oh my God. So we did it, right? Um, yeah, I think that's everything. Um, so what do you, uh, yeah. what do you rate this bad boy? Wow. <laughs> Out of five bolts, out of five lightning I'll, bolts, what do, you, what do you give this bad I'll boy? Start. And here's, this is where this becomes tough because we're going to talk about a lot of classic albums and we're going to, let's try to, let's try to like keep everything in perspective. Even though this wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be, I still give it 1.5 bolts. And that's only because it's going to be stacked up against other things that are going to get twos and threes that are far superior than it. Yep. You know, it uh, wasn't an atrocity. It was actually more interesting to listen to than Space Oddity because I'm more familiar with Space Oddity. And also the songs on this one that were bad, they weren't boring. It was never boring. Right. But uh, I wouldn't call it good music half the time. No. But the first half of the album's got some, some good songs that I'll actually end up going back to. Yeah. Eric, what do you got? Uh, I think 1.5 is exactly what I was going to say. The first half is actually defensively almost a two, but the second half drops so low that I can't do that. I mean, uh, time will crawl and the, the never let me down extended dance mix. (laughs) I'm sorry. When they add those EBM drums, I'm into it. Uh, I can't write this album off entirely, but I can't give it a two. One five is my rating. As so well. I'm right along with you. 1.5 for the 1987 version for the 2018 version. I may squeak that up to a two. Um, but yeah, that's um, fair. That's fair. The uh, yeah. 1.5. I would say we're pretty unanimous on that. And uh, my, my, my favorite song off the record was time will crawl. Um, yeah. Agreed. And, and Agreed. The 2018 version, Glass yeah, Spider, is a very good song too. But uh, yeah, 1.5 yeah. it is. I'm gonna talk to you about the album "Never Let Me Down Again." <laughs> what was that? The Depeche Mode song, and "Never Let Me Down" is the greatest album he ever made. I'd give it five out of five bolts, and everything I just said there wasn't true. It's the worst album, and I'd give it zero bolts. The best song on that album is. Day in, day out, and the worst song on the album is Too Dizzy. Why don't you like it? I do not like that album because that album, it has, they think it's 80s pop hits, but it doesn't sound at all like that. And that was not deleted on this album. Shining Star was the worst song on that album. That was the worst song on that album that was not deleted, Shining Star. Do you have anything nice to say about this album? I think that this album, at least, he... I don't... At least, I think some people... At least, the thing I'm happy about is that people didn't completely drop out of David Bowie and people didn't give up on David Bowie, even how bad this album was. People still listen to whatever David Bowie album would come next, which is good. Very good. All right, thanks, Lennox. All right. Yeah, and no, I think I think my favorite song off the album is uh, Zeros. Like I said, the 2018 Zeros is actually my favorite yeah. one. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. Actually, I'm glad we got this out of the way. I'm glad to have actually listened to something that I'm not familiar with at all. Um, is the reputation it has deserved? Almost. It's not as bad as it's remembered as, but it's not right. Good. All right, Eric, let's roll the dice. Where are we going next? do it diamond dice what's happening if it's one we've hit before i'm gonna roll the second dice let's see i feel like 
if, if, if now we have to do tonight, then it oh, truly shit. does. Right it is true that there is no yeah. God. Um, oh, we have not hit this one before. This is a 10. Station to station. 10 is. All right. Station oh, to station. Thank goodness. That's perfect. That That's our next one. We're, gonna, we're going from. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about a song where a TV gained Satan sentence and it uh, chases a woman all around the room. Yeah, this yeah. is going to be a good one. <laughs> It's gonna be yeah. a good palate cleanser. Talk about talk, talk <laughs> about that opening track. Oh, oh man! See now, I'm wondering. Maybe maybe I should go back to church. There might be a god <laughs> if there's any kind of justice in this world. All right, number ten. So join us uh, next time uh, on our next episode where we talk about Station to Station, Bowie's tenth record. Um, so uh, we hope that you right. enjoyed this. Hit us up. Uh, I will say uh, there was some fan oh, yeah. feedback that I was supposed to get to tonight. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's some good stuff. Actually, a lot of you replied to hot takes on Never Let Me Down, and I think you deserve your place in the sun. Uh, so Red Alert 33 on Twitter said, Time, or qual- Time Will Crawl is a top Bowie song. Feature drum and bang bang are great too. And Julie deserves to be on the album. Fair enough. Yeah, I agree with that, especially that last sentiment. All right. It was that all you got? Um, nope. Uh, uh, we got um, this one that that Glass Spider, the the live tour. Um, if you imagine that he's Jareth from the Labyrinth, the Goblin King, and he when you listen to Glass Spider, then you'll enjoy it much more. Or you're kind of yeah. going with that. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Jared Matula thinks that the uh, 2018 remix is relevatory and fantastic. And he loves it. As far as he's concerned, that's the album. So that's what Jared yeah, says. I agree with that. My good, my good friend, Matt Lemansky from Tacoma says there was an episode of head of the class where one of the characters mentions seeing the glass spider tour. And that's his fondest memory of the album. <laughs> I imagine that's the um the guy that sits on the desk, not actually in the desk, the leather jacket. No, but I'm imagining, I'm imagining that's still a WKRP in Cincinnati teacher, not Billy Connolly. Most likely, yeah. When Howard Hessman. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, that's some good. Uh... Oh my no, god! No, no, there's more. Jesus. <laughs> Chris Re- Chris Reed says time will crawl and never let me down are his favorites, and uh, he's going to have more opinions for us soon. Uh, Tony Telezek says, unlucky for you, even Bodie hated it too. That's right. It sucked. That's what Tony says. Right to the point um, then, Tony. That's right. Aaron Green says he watched Glass Spider on Much Music, which is Canada's MTV. Oh my God. Five. I, I have not thought about Much Music in forever. <laughs> yeah. And he wanted to be Bowie. He wanted Glass Wings during his version of Time from that tour. Uh, Jeremy Much Walker more. said, Jeremy Walker said that, uh, um, that his favorites are time will crawl and, uh, day in day out is the worst song on the album. Uh, but it's nowhere near his worst album. So I wonder what he considers the worst one. I don't consider this the worst one after listening to it. Um, sure. Yeah. No, I'd rather, like I said, I'd, I already think this is more interesting listening to hours again. So Aaron, Aaron Green says uh, that it's, he doesn't look back in anger on this album. It's not the least of his efforts. 
Um, but somebody should remix it. And I told him, uh, somebody did. Yeah. So there's that. And then our good friend, uh, Nick Rusick from, uh, from Australia sent me a great story. Apparently, and you'll know Nick, he was an episode of, uh, our nine inch nails season. Um, his parents were, uh, drivers and they were limo drivers for rock bands. And he sent me all these pictures of backstage passes that they had over the years. Uh, including MC Hammer and CNC Music Factory oh, <laughs> and incredible. U2 and all sorts of stuff. But apparently um, when the Glass Spider Tour came through Australia, th- through Sydney, they um, hired a limo to drive up that was a fake, it was a decoy. There was nobody in there. And his parents drove a van with, with David Bowie's band in it to the back and they played. And then after the after party, Peter Frampton was there and his mom was so excited <laughs> and then she got really, really stoned and then she tried to drive home and then had to pull over and had a complete nervous breakdown from all the marijuana on the side oh of the road. Oh my God. <laughs> that, that took a turn. Um, so thank you, Nick, for the, uh, for the, for the tale and approving us to say it on the podcast. Cause I asked him first. Yeah. Good man. And uh, yeah, no, I think let's do this for every episode. This was fun. That That's fun. Let's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Shortly before we record, Eric, toss a line out there. And uh, right. I, I, I actually, it pleases me to hear that some people's opinions for the majority kind of reflected what we thought. So it's not like we're just right. Balonian, Balonian yep. up here. Right. Well, that's it, guys. We did it. Um, I can't wait for the next episode. Um, so yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited. I feel like we yeah. earned this. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Station. Well, join us station. next time when we go station to station on station to station. Um, find us where you can find us. You know where you can find us. Um, thanks for listening. Bye bye.